You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 592. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 3rd of November, 2023. In today's episode, a commercial flight rolls off the runway while landing in England. And Spirit suspends training for new pilots and flight attendants. We'll tell you why. Also ahead, more news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 592 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I am Captain Jeff, a pilot at a a major legacy airline based on Earth. And joining us from his studio in Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi there, Jeff. I too am based on Earth. And uh, with November the 5th coming soon, uh, Guy, Guy Fox Night, please notice that I've got pet friendly, quiet. Uh, fireworks in the background. Duly noted. Thank you. And from his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, AMP and mechanic, old airplane enthusiast, and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Nick Macho Camacho. Hey guys, I'm uh, glad to be back. I just got just rolled in last night from a long work trip, so I'm trying to uh, hear. <laughs> Get recalibrated here. You're out of it. Okay, well, catch up on your sleep. <laughs> hey, uh, Liz, do you have that little thing that uh, le- electrifies his seat uh, just to kind of get him to yes. wake up? Okay, good. All right. And uh, speaking <laughs> of that, uh, from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier, aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and of course, our producer, it's Liz Piper. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday to you as well. Hi, Liz. All right. Have a good show, you guys. Okay, Cheers. if we must. If we must. Stand by for news. All righty. This first news item in our new segment is uh, sent in from 
Uh, someone named Captain Nick, he's the one that uh, decided that we should cover this. Plane skids off the runway while landing at Leeds-Bradford Airport. So, Captain Nick, why don't you uh, take control, take the controls here and uh, tell us about this uh, news article. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, it was uh, TUI Airways, uh, Boeing 737-800, registration Golf Tango Alpha, Whiskey Delta, Tord, performing flight uh, Rava Yankee 3551 from Corfu to Leeds in England. Landed on Leeds runway 14. Um, just approaching... Uh, let me see, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so nine minutes before 2. It veered left off the runway in the final stage of the rollout. So he'd sort of done all the hard work, but then drifted off. It came to a stop on soft ground, about 60 feet left of the runway edge. So a reasonable ex excursion uh, and about um, 1,340 feet short of the runway end. So... You know, not a huge amount of runway left, but then again, it came to a grinding halt in the mud. Anyway, there were no injuries. The aircraft sustained minor, if any, damage. Now, if you're going to go off the runway, that's the way to do it. Minor, if any, damage. The airline said, oh, we are aware of an incident at Leeds Bradford <laughs> Airport this afternoon. Is this in the way they talk? upon landing <laughs> flight Tom 3551 slightly veered off whilst slightly. turning into the taxiway. There are no reported injuries and our ground team are on hand to support passengers as they disembark. I'm not quite sure you quite call it disembarking when you're climbing out into a filthiness of uh, mud, but there you go. Now, in mitigation for this poor crew who didn't successfully negotiate the runway turn-off, um, it was pretty windy. So uh, they were landing on 1-4, the wind was 0-7-0-18, gusting 31-32 knots-ish. Um, you know, not particularly good viz, scattered cloud at 400 feet. So uh, it would not have been the nicest of approaches to make. But other than the fact that they made... <laughs> You look at the picture out of the passenger's window. All oh, the filth <laughs> managed to throw up over the aeroplane is quite remarkable. It's going to need to go through the car wash, I think, before yep. they can do anything else. Uh, and um, there are some more uh, bits of uh, information. Um, they just say we're working with the airline relevant operations team and emergency authorities uh, are going to address the situation and remove the passengers, no injuries or fires. Airport was closed, however, which would have been a bit embarrassing for everyone else queuing up to land. Uh, most of the other incoming flights diverted to Birmingham and Manchester around there. Uh, and uh, the well-known aviation expert Fiona Marr, who was with her son watching the planes land when the incident took place, described it as a hard landing. The wings were going up and down and it kind of landed sideways and then ended up in the grass, she said. <laughs> it was a hard landing straight away. There was a really loud alarm coming from the airport, which I've not heard before. And we go up there a lot. Then the engines came straight away. They, the passengers, must have been terrified. So there you go. I think it was a 
pretty foul day. Uh, the runway was probably pretty wet. Bit of a strong crosswind, yeah, and um, they looks like they just drifted off the side. Storm. This was Babette, gusting to thirty-two knots in light rain. So yeah, we, we've had what a couple of storms through recently. That was this was Storm Babette. Yeah, I seventy probably. degrees off at uh, thirty-two knots. That yeah, that's a little yeah, pretty much all of it across. Yeah, spicy. I know. I don't know how easy a seven three is to land uh, in, a, in a big crosswind. This isn't a huge know. crosswind, you know. Thirty-five, forty knots would be a big crosswind, but uh, would have thought with a very wet runway, it might have been even a little bit of aquaplaning in there. Well, if they had been, you know. Uh, very talented professional pilots like yourself and myself, uh, Captain Nick, and of course uh, Nick Camacho. Uh, we wouldn't be uh, even talking about this, right? No, that's very true. I, uh, I know really talented pilots usually stay on the uh-huh. on the tarmac. And but, just uh, a, a note to people: uh, the things that we have been involved in in the past, uh, we do not talk about on this show. <laughs> yeah. Yes, all my runway excursions. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Numerous. There you go. But, I mean, we've had some pretty foul weather um, in the recent weeks. So, uh, you know, I have to say, uh, I, I for one, am glad that I'm retired because it's when you get these really nasty storms coming through, uh, everyone's uh, a bit worried about it, lots of diversions, lots of uh, potential for incidents. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm very glad I've hung up my flying boots, quite honestly. Yeah. We are too, honestly. <laughs> okay. Now that um, that C forty seven is a bit of a handful in a crosswind, isn't it, uh, Nick? Oh yeah, definitely. That big uh, big vertical stabilizer back there makes it. Yeah, a little and bit those of a wings, yeah, they don't stop flying until you're <laughs> barely taxiing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, you know what I should do? I do have a video for this one. So the whole time that you've been talking, I could have been loading that up. But what was I doing? <laughs> it's a I testament to, there. Cap- to Captain Nick's entertainment value. I know. I just <laughs> Exactly. I was just like mesmerized by the way he was covering that. All right. Uh, so let me open this up and uh, we'll uh, go on to this next news item. It's some video from NBC News. Not yet another confrontation in the cockpit being revealed. A Delta co-pilot facing charges of pulling a gun and threatening to shoot the captain during an argument. Here's Tom Costello. It happened on a Delta Airlines flight last year. Now a federal grand jury has indicted First Officer Jonathan Dunn with using a dangerous weapon to assault and intimidate the captain, telling the captain he'd be shot multiple times if he diverted the flight due to a passenger's medical event. Dunn was trained and certified to carry a gun as a TSA flight deck officer. NBC News aviation analyst Captain John Cox was also certified. The people that were really heavily into the, I'm going to save the world and I've got a gun. Those people didn't make it through. NBC has been unable to reach Dunn. Delta says he no longer works for the airline. The indictment comes after an off-duty Alaska Airlines pilot riding in a cockpit jump seat last week allegedly tried to shut down the engines on a passenger plane. Joseph Emerson has pleaded not guilty to 83 attempted murder counts. He allegedly claimed he was in a mental health crisis and had consumed psychedelic mushrooms two days before the flight. He had no intention to harm himself or anybody on the airplane when he acted. 
The challenge for the FAA and airlines, screening pilots for signs of serious mental illness or aggression. It's really hard to predict violence, even if somebody's experiencing mental health symptoms. Both pilots face federal charges of interfering with the flight crew, a felony that carries up to 20 years in prison. Thanks for watching. Stay updated about breaking news well, and you. top stories on the NBC News app or follow us okay. on social media. A nice plug for NBC News mm -hmm. app. Hasn't that guy got a huge forehead? Yeah, he does. <laughs> um, yeah, very large because of that massive brain, that frontal <laughs> cortex. Uh, is that what you call that? Must be a very smart chat. <laughs> Sounds good, yep. Okay. Um, so getting back to, uh, we went, don't really want to talk about the uh, the mushroom dude um, at this point. We want to talk more about this idiot that decided that he would threaten the captain and the captain's authority and making a decision to uh, do a medical divert. Um, and what's interesting is I just kind of stumbled upon this other news item um, that or a news article that said the uh, Supreme Court, this is from The Hill, Supreme Court won't shield airmen from punishment over vaccine refusal. And the Supreme Court on Monday ruled against an Air Force Reserve officer who asked the justices to shield him from disciplinary action over his religious-based refusal to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Dunn, that's the same guy that threatened the captain, uh, was removed from oh. his command and faces additional punishment over his refusal to comply. Um, anyway, and the end of this article says that he has already been removed from his former command, including for reasons of poor judgment and abuse of authority, which justified the removal independent of his refusal to be vaccinated. So the reason why he was removed from his position of authority had nothing to do with his refusal to take the vaccine. It's just that that's what landed him in court. And uh, yeah, so now we're kind of getting a better, a bigger picture of this, uh, this guy. Um, can you imagine that somebody? Well, of course, Nick, uh, Captain Nick, you can't imagine it because you guys don't have pilots that uh, carry uh, firearms. Um, and it's not a huge percentage. No, we've got of, some pretty stupid pilots. <laughs> yeah, well, and that they have the opportunity to. Stupid. <laughs> I know, but it's <laughs> yeah. just like, really, you're going to? Okay, you're a federal flight deck officer, and you're going to threaten the captain because you don't want him to divert. Uh, that's just that just shows you right there that the person's mental. I mean, who what in their right mind? Up diverting or not? Pardon me. I wonder if they did divert or not. After I'm not that. sure. The article really doesn't say uh, whether or not the uh, divert was made or not. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's you know you wonder how somebody like that could make it through there because there's a pretty extensive screening process for uh, pilots entering the flight deck, uh, federal flight deck officer program. In other words, armed. Yeah, that's pilots. what I was. I mean, from this side of the pond, of course, we look at this with a. Slightly different eye. And that was one of the questions I was going to ask, Jeff. You know, how thorough is the screening for those flight deck officers that are armed? And, um, I mean, personally, I think it's a was a good idea um, uh, to include this as an option because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the desperate straits that uh, passengers went to to try and regain control of their aircraft uh, after 9-11 or on 9-11 uh, just demonstrates that, uh, you know, it would. it's really nice to have 
uh, armed marshals on board. And if you've got a trustworthy pilot who's well trained and capable, then that is a you know a, a great last ditch defence. But um, so you know it kind of puts in question the the how they pick these guys. Um, was it just that he was in the military? Was that sufficient? I no, I don't think it, so. But... I think there's more to it than no. that. Yeah, it's pretty extensive no. uh, background checking and everything else. But yeah, I don't know. Obviously, this guy's a little, little, little off. Yeah, um, indeed. And uh, also, if 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 the military knew about uh, his uh, problems beforehand. Um, that, that they had already decided that they were going to remove him from his post. Uh, that obviously doesn't link back to his employer because uh, if his employer had known about it, perhaps they would have questioned his fitness uh, to be on the flight deck. Um, yeah. So I'm just wondering, in the same way that I asked questions after the German wings first officer, uh, committed suicide and killed all his passengers when by locking the captain out. We were all asking, how could this guy who was under medical treatment by various doctors for mental health issues, how could his company not have been aware of that, or at least the uh, licensing authority in Germany not been aware of it? And we all asked the question, isn't that stupid? You, why are these barriers there? Because you... In our job, you really do need to have that sort of information available to all authorized persons. And the fact in Germany, it wasn't authorized, so it was hidden. Uh, and we we wondered whether that was the right decision or not. And in the same way, I ask if this is the right decision. Should the military have kept it quiet or should they have in, informed Delta? Yeah, I, I yeah. agree. I'm, go ahead, Nick. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, I, that was the one thing that I was curious about is the line of communication there. You know, we had a, uh, maybe three or four years ago, I don't remember when, but we had a another uh, <clears throat> gun situation where a, a citizen, it didn't have to do with airplanes, but a citizen had uh, obtained a gun legally, but after the incident and everyone started looking into it, uh, he basically had, um, he basically had like denying characteristics from his time in the air force, but there was no like clear communication between the air force and the law enforcement agencies associated with him being able to get a gun. So there's, it was a big uproar back then about how, you know, there are these two government agencies mm -hmm. should be able to communicate with each other to avoid situations like this. Um, and this kind of seems like another, uh, another example of that. You know, I, I, I don't know how much of it would be hidden for, um, doesn't seem like necessarily health reasons, but uh, privacy reasons. But, you know, like poor judgment and abuse of authority, authority seem like bullet points one and two for disqualifying conditions for what he was doing. So if exactly. anybody knew about that in the FAA, you think it would have caused uh, red flags to pop up? You know, this federal bureaucracy. Um, issue that we have is uh, I think they're they're trying to fix it just like we had the story a couple of episodes back regarding the uh, the VA and the FAA and the, how well, they yeah, weren't we really communicating about that again. and uh, so you know we and we have some feedback um, regarding that as well uh, later here in our show but uh, yeah you're right there's like 
who's is are people not talking to each other here? What's going on? You know, this Mike is has got a comment crazy. that's very. Uh, Micah says in our live audience, these kind of communications regarding guns never seem to work. The same was true of the shooter appearing in Maine from last week. Yeah, there was a mass shooting in in Maine. Everyone knew he shouldn't have a gun, but somehow he ended up with one. He made uh, threats within the military. He made threats to the local police and his family uh, was aware of his mental issue and the fact that he had gun. Yeah, it's, I guess, you know, it's it's tough. You know, there's so many – how many people now here are in the United States population? 330 or probably more like, like 350. maybe or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 350 million people, um, I guess. On occasion, some somebody's going to kind of squeeze through that crack or fall through that crack. And I don't know. But, you know, almost every case, uh, people that know these people go, oh, yeah. Oh, it was just a matter right. of time. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> Why didn't you say anything? Yeah, nobody would listen anyway, and they're yeah. probably right. Sad. Yeah. yeah. Bye bye to his It is sad. Okay. Well, video. We should uh, probably <laughs> talk about this one here. My homeland forever. Oh, it's Christmas. That's yes. when we all have to watch have that this movie. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, we talked about the 737 excursion. This was all, almost an excursion off uh, a runway in Zurich. Uh, an Edelweiss uh, Air, Airbus A320-200, registration Hotel Bravo India Hotel Yankee, performing flight 298 from Zurich to Faro, Portugal, was accelerating for takeoff from Zurich's runway 32. When the crew rejected takeoff at high speed, uh, about 140 knots over the ground, the aircraft slowed, vacated the runway, and taxied to a remote stand. And we have a little bit of video to to present to you, and maybe we can analyze this and figure out what happened. All right, so it was rolling down the runway, rolling down the runway. Rolling down the runway, throttles open wide. See the mighty Airbus sway from then, side to side. Uh-oh. Yikes. <laughs> Quick left turn and then a reaction to the right to keep mm. it on the runway. Thank goodness it was a very wide runway. <laughs> and yes. uh, they uh, managed Pretty to straighten big. up. I think I know what happened here, though. Um, to, just listen here uh, to this. Yeah. See here? Did you hear that? That was yeah. some kind of a, a Windows uh, chime or something, and I think that uh, oh, that's what caused the whole. Rebooted, you think? <laughs> yeah, it was it was Airbus. Uh, that was the Airbus Windows uh, uh, Eleven uh, that uh, that had a hiccup, I think, and then it made the rudder go full left. <laughs> oh no! But I thought it was that little squirrel. I thought they were just trying to avoid. Yeah, that I saw that squirrel. too. Was that a squirrel or a little bird? Yeah, something flew yeah. from left to right. But I think that was behind them, actually. Um, yeah, but yeah, so looking at the uh, there's a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> so look at this. Boom! Uh, it's just the the rudder yeah. would, it seemed to be aligned just fine, and then right before the big giant swerve, you see the big rudder move. It looks like full deflection to the left. That's not that's not good um, pr- uh, technique, in my opinion. So I'm not sure what's going on here. Uh, what what do you think happened here, Nick? 
Nick's? Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, I read all this, assuming I'm the Nick you're asking, uh, and everyone seemed to think it was a burst tire, and I'm going, nah. <laughs> no. The burst tire does not that cause that kind of drag on the undercarriage. So you would get a little bit, uh, but no, it would be easily controllable. So uh, I couldn't get the video to play in a sufficient resolution to see the rudder. So I just assumed that was an engine failure. Um, uh, and But even so, uh, you know, having done so many in the sim, uh, you do get a swing, but it's nowhere near as big as that. I don't so, think it was a, 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 an engine failure because this is this information here is from the Aviation Herald, and and usually in the narrative of this, it, they would say, oh, there was an engine failure. And uh, they had to do, do a rejected, but there's no mention of any problem with the engine. So um, I don't know. Well, I mean, in maybe that it case, was. I, I, you know, I, I can only think that someone stamped on the rudder. I yeah. mean, I can't think of another good reason why the airplane would lurch in such a dramatic manner. So um, perhaps someone caught cramp <laughs> in his leg. Right. <laughs> oh, I thought, oh, I just need to straighten well, my leg. Wow, <laughs> wow. I don't know about you, Nick, but I, I know uh, that I've experienced like in the middle of the night having like a leg cramp and having to get up from the bed oh, yeah, and like indeed. just, you know, hobble all over the place. I'm thinking, I hope this never yeah. happens to me when I'm at the controls rolling down the runway for takeoff <laughs> or landing. Yeah. Because if it does, it's not going to be a pretty sight at all. No, no, exactly. Or perhaps someone's chair did something weird. I, I, yeah. But, you know. Has there been any history at all of uh, Airbus? Like, I know the 737, earlier versions of the 737 occasionally had issues with the uh, hard over rudder, but I've not heard of anything like that with the uh, Airbus uh, A320 fleet. No, I, I've, I have never heard of uh, an erroneous flight control input other than that, I uh, remember the A330 that was coming out of Australia and had some uncommanded uh, pitch downs. Oh, yeah. That, that mm -hmm. turned out to be um, an Adaroo, uh, the air data computer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the voting system went awry because two computers failed with almost exactly the same parameters at the same time. And the computer went well, those two are correct, and the other one, which was actually the only good one, mm -hmm. I'm going to vote you out. <laughs> right, right. Which uh, Airbus have now realized, despite the remoteness of, the, of that possibility, they've now fixed that. So, yeah, <laughs> couldn't happen. Yeah, but, I think that uh, was a, a former yeah. U.S. Navy uh, pilot who was flying for um, the Australian airline, and I think they were coming in from somewhere north of there and coming into uh, Western Australia to Perth, I believe, and somewhere off the coast that event occurred. And yeah, wow, it was very, very scary. We talked yeah, about that, it on our show. That was the only time I've ever heard of Airbus having a significant flight control issue. Yeah. And it, of course, it wasn't actually the flight controls that had the issue. It was the air data uh, right. being fed to them. Uh, but, you know, what, whatever. Now, that's no excuse. You, you should build a system that is completely robust. Um, ha having said that, I've never heard of a flight control going array like this on an airbus. I have to see but, a report hmm. on this. Yeah, we're hoping to find uh, some more information. Uh, we'll be watching the Aviation Herald and see if there's any kind of... I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put a five-pound note on the desk here that it is was a pilot input. It looks an accidental like, pilot input. I think you're pilot right. Pilot induced swerving. Yeah. 
I, <laughs> yeah. I think you're right. That, that stands for piss, isn't it? He took the piss. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's uh, that, that's was Liz in the background saying pilot induced observing. That wasn't me just randomly swearing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, thank you for Why the context. Yeah. Well, no, you're the one that came up with it, Liz. So we're squarely blaming you for that. Yeah. Um, Well, staying on this uh, this theme of runway excursions, uh, the next item. uh, I I don't think I've skipped anything. Uh, Final report. um, Let's see. Back in whoa, wow, this happened quite some time ago. 2013. Uh, A Thai uh, A330-300. Um, was going from uh, Guangzhou, Guangzhou. I, I always say this wrong. Guangzhou, 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 China to Bangkok. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, with two hundred eighty-seven yeah, an passengers one. and fourteen crew, <laughs> landed on Bangkok's runway one nine left at about twenty-three thirty local time, but veered right off the runway and came to a stop with all gear on soft ground about 1,700 meters down the runway. A large plume of dust rose above the aircraft, initially creating fears of a crash, followed by smoke from the right-hand engine. The aircraft was evacuated via slides. 14 people received minor injuries in the evacuation. Three of the injured still in the hospital care 48 hours later. Again, this was back in 2013 when this occurred. So here is the final report. Boy, they take their time, don't they? Ten years? What? Very thorough. Very what? thorough. Very thorough. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the um, Thailand's Aircraft Accident Investigation Committee, which apparently took a a, a big break, uh, <laughs> they got back together and got this final report, uh, concluding the probable cause of the accident were the accident caused by the fragmentation of the right-hand main landing gear bogey beam made the this aircraft like veer about the runway. Thing that we did. Yeah, yeah, we the, just had a story yeah, like this, right? We did, yeah. It was, an, it was also a 3.30, I believe. Uh, the aircraft fuselage, both engines were damaged. The right engine was on fire. However, the cause of the damaged main landing gear bogey beam could not, I, I want to say like r- rubber baby bump, buggy, buggy bumpers. Uh, the MLG bogey <laughs> beam could not be found due to the cracks were damaged while the aircraft was scraping the runway surface. Okay. So, um, yeah, another uh, bogey beam. Uh, and apparently, and, and there's a lot of detail here in this final report. We're not going to go over it all. But years, so I guess be. you could say that uh, to summarize it in, in, a, in a way is that there were some corrosion pits that, were, um, that should have been detected but weren't because they didn't do proper procedures in reapplying some sort of uh, – Maybe uh, Nick Camacho, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at this, but there was some something they said that that was supposed to be applied to the um, to the mm-hmm. uh, metal of the main landing gear bogey beam that uh, prevents corrosion. And then after over that, I think they're supposed to you know put some kind of a regular paint uh, over that. And apparently they they skipped that step uh, or something. And and so yeah. little tiny corrosion pits um, occurred. And we're like talking like fractions of a millimeter. Uh, very, mm-hmm. you know, very, very tiny little pits, but apparently um, it's important to detect that. Yeah. So I'm just, I haven't read this yet. So I was just glancing over it, but this is a, uh, yeah. So this one section that says areas within the bogey pivot bore were found without the presence of Ardrox, uh coating believed to have been re- removed and subsequently not replaced at the right hand main landing gear bogey pivot pin inspection on mm-hmm. March, 2013. So this is a, 
like a um, clear case of maintenance induced failure, right? So they they created a maintenance step that they thought would um, allow the airplane to operate safer, but in doing that, um, and it may have, right? Like there's probably good reason that they need to uh, inspect this pivot pin, but because they are taking that pivot pin out and having to probably strip it to do some sort of like ultrasonic or x-ray inspection on it, when they didn't put the coating in, that immediately caused this secondary issue. So, um, and, <clears throat> you know, you mentioned the depth of the corrosion pits and, you know, it's uh, one of the insidious things about corrosion is it's even if it's small, right, it, it changes the way that the member uh, handles loads. <clears throat> so if it's if you have a if you have a inclusion or a pit in a in a part in an airplane part and it's, say, like 10 uh, percent less thick or something because of a pit, it's not just 10 percent less strong there. It also creates a. Um, stress concentration there. So it, it generally tends to fail much quicker because you have a, a irregularity or stress concentration in that area. So that's one of the reasons that corrosion can be, um, you know, cause cracks and then cause failures much quicker than we would expect. Yeah. It's not something where you're going to be able to see when you're doing your walk around, you know, uh, before right. a flight, because we're talking like 0.67 millimeters or 0.2 or, I mean, just teeny, teeny, t- I mean, a millimeter is you know, teeny tiny to begin with. And we're talking fractions of a millimeter as far as right. the And And also this is, pits. I think this is internal, right? This is like mm-hmm. the internal sleeve of so the, you wouldn't be able to see it anyway of the bogey. So it's, it's not even accessible to the pilots. Okay. Um, and it also seems like there's some, there was some confusion about the inspection criteria. Mm-hmm. Cause it, you know, it talked about um, this, I don't remember if you read this section or not, but it says the DCA has the power to regulate the six monthly maintenance report form as prescribed in section 4180, the Air Navigation Act. I don't know what that is. Uh, that six month mainly that six monthly maintenance report form. I think that's probably a required form for that operator for their um, however they op- their yeah, operate. Apparently, there are a bunch of uh, airworthiness directives uh, issued by the European Aviation Safety Agency, EASA. Uh, but I guess the airline, they kind of interpreted it as, well, we've already done this thing. Right. And so we don't need to comply with any of those others. Yeah. Wrong. Hmm. And, they, and they looked like they kind of probably kind of stacked up on top of each other, right? Because there was 270314, uh, 2000, or I'm sorry, 2703142008-0093, 2011-0141, and 2012-0015. Um, and then it said, uh, the content in the AD states that unless already accomplished or required is indicated unless accomplished previously, which might cause confusion among the operators. So yeah, it sounds like they just got all sorts of wires crossed about which inspections had been done, which inspections they had done, which inspections may have been done before they acquired the airplane. So clearly this is a case of pilot error than what we're saying, right? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Just for those listeners who might be a tad confused, uh, can I just say at the Air Navigation Act is the legal process of putting something uh, into law. Uh, and um, the bogey beam is the bit 
that goes fore and aft in the bogey. So you can imagine the four wheels there. The bogey beam joins the front pair of wheels to the back pair of wheels, and it should be a nice, long, solid connection. And the oleo that is attached to the bogey actually attaches to that beam. So that's kind of is what it's supports all four wheels. And, yeah, it's an important it's piece. That seems kind of sagging there oleo. Yeah, it's a saggy beam for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's very sad sagging. Yes. Mm. Very good. So yeah, I was good think, thinking those pivot pit pins are the pits. Yeah, I was going to say the oh, beam no. is the pits. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see another alliteration title. Yeah. Uh, we've just had one now. Come on, surely. Yeah, well, if we can't come up with anything better, then, you know, yeah. somebody write that down. They left a nice set of rails in there pretty tight. No, it tarmac, really did. Didn't it? Very <laughs> impressive tracks down the uh, scrapes down yes. that runway. Look at, <laughs> yeah. Just shows you the amount yeah, of force yeah. and weight uh, on those Yeah, it must things. have sounded pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, now we know what happened. Uh, after let's, 10 years, we know now. After 10 years, we can all rest assured uh, it wasn't pilot error. Good. Um, So the next two news items, uh, we'll cover them quickly here, involve Spirit Airlines here in the U.S. Um, About, I don't know, a little over a week ago, uh, there was a little snafu. A bunch of flights were canceled, uh, mostly out of Orlando, their Orlando base. Uh, and there was speculation that it had something to do with the engines on its uh, new engine option um, versions of the Airbus. Uh, but this, in this case, um, the uh, they canceled 11% of their flights on the 20th of October to accommodate mandatory inspections on the um, potential fatigue cracking in a specific bracket on the aircraft's airframe. It was a 2018 airworthiness directive. Uh, that uh, well, no, says it could offer us more insight here. Uh, the, the directive was a response to fatigue tests that detected cracks around fasteners and pressure panels. Additionally, cracks were found under longitudinal beams at locations not previously included in the inspection protocol. This uh, issue predominantly affects first-generation Airbus A320 family jets, uh, spar or sparing the uh, the new A320 Neo models. Anyway, so it's, well, the entire fleet at Spirit uh, are Airbuses, uh, narrow-body Airbuses, but they have a good mix of older generation 320s, new 320s, 321s, and A319s. So there you go. They had to cancel a bunch, and it was, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people were upset. Um, and then this news item came out, I think, just a day or two after that. And said uh, that Spirit now is suspending new pilot training after a tough quarter and also engine issues. Um, Spirit posted a third quarter loss and they forecast another loss uh, in the next quarter. Uh, The carrier told pilots it will suspend new pilot and flight attendant training next month. The budget airline reported softer demand, which is kind of odd. I mean, I think that uh, the majors are experiencing very strong demand. And it will have to ground dozens of planes due to a Pratt & Whitney engine manufacturing issue. Um, so the in the NEO, uh, the, they're using the, uh, I think this is the geared turbofan, the Pratt & Whitney. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, is it the 1100? Mm-hmm. Is that what they call that one? I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, t- 
let's see, they had to, um, the Miramar, Florida-based discount carrier said it expects to have have to ground an average of 26 Airbus A320neo aircraft for inspections of engines made by the RTX unit uh, at Pratt & Whitney after that company disclosed a manufacturing defect in August. Carrier said it expects 13 grounded planes in January, rising to 41 in December of next year. The airline had a fleet of 202 Airbus airplanes as of September 30th. Um, the, the thing that was amazing to me, uh, of course, they were seeking compensation from RTX um, for uh, for this issue. And last month, RTX, again, that division of uh, Pratt & Whitney, said that it expected repairs to take between 250 and 300 days. Yeah, that's a long time. That, very long time. What? Yeah. I, I had to reread that again. You know, I highlighted that thinking, that can't be right. With an average of 350 planes powered by the geared turbofan engines grounded worldwide between 2024 and 2026. Yikes, this is not a good yeah. thing. Mind you, Rolls-Royce had a similar kind of problem with their, remember their blade corrosion issues? Mm -hmm. That was, you know, a, a, an equally difficult one. And it was really because of the length of time it takes to produce new engines and replacements for existing agents. All, you, all of a sudden, you've got this huge demand uh, on production, which uh, is impossible to ramp up in, you know, the time given. So I suspect that might have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, also spirit, um, and well, JetBlue is trying to basically acquire spirit airlines and the justice, the justice department has sued to block the, um, the merger. And the, this article says the trial is expected to begin next week in Boston. Well, it's already started. And, uh, so if it, <laughs> it just seems like everything is going the wrong way for spirit airlines right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's not going to be much for them to buy at this rate. They're going to get a bargain company if they uh, succeed in purchasing them, aren't they? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to this next item. Um, oh, this was kind of – well, it was, it's kind of funny for us because we didn't have any luggage on this airplane. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, let's see. It was an, an Indigo Airbus A321-200N registration Victor Tango India Mike Charlie performing flight 1006 from Singapore to uh, Bangalore, India, was climbing out of Singapore when the crew stopped the climb at flight level 270 after it was detected that the luggage of the previous flight, flight 1005, uh, from Bangalore to Singapore had not been unloaded. The aircraft returned to Singapore for a safe landing on runway 20 right about one hour after departure. How did they do weight and balance? Um, Liz is asking a good question. Weight and balance, wouldn't that be yeah, an that issue? Yeah, that going to be my question. Liz beat me to it. <laughs> yeah, she did. Did these guys go off with a load sheet that was based on no luggage or did they leave it on the load sheet? Uh, either of which is pr a pretty major mistake. But if you went off without an adjusted load sheet, uh, unwittingly having a hold full of luggage, that could have been a disaster. Yeah. And well, the you know, reason just trying it could to... have been disaster, sorry, is that uh, if you try and fly an airplane outside of center gravity limits, you could suffer, could suffer dire handling problems. And, uh, you know, it can be... Um, the result of a crash. Sorry, Jeff. 
Yeah. And then your luggage would be all over the place on the ground, nowhere near any <laughs> yeah. airport. So that'd be a bigger wreck. <laughs> yeah, oh, and your body dear. too. Yeah, well. Um, but uh, so I think they were just trying to do these folks a, fla- a favor, a flavor. Uh, they had just come in from uh, Bangalore, uh, India, and they were just returning the luggage, you know, a little bit earlier than the people yeah, were expecting they could all buy new it stuff to be back in, in India. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, never heard of oopsie. that happening before, have you? Yeah, then, oh, I'm sure it's never happened before. <laughs> no, it probably has. It's just that we're just learning about this one or hearing about it. Um, this next item uh, from Paddle Your Own Canoe, um, I thought was <laughs> pretty interesting. to come up with this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this, yeah, it, the article is uh, related to Airbus. But it really is a, it's a ship. It's a story about a ship that uh, Airbus is going to contract. And uh, it's. I thought it was a very, very cool-looking ship. It just looks like uh, they forgot to put the sails on these masts, though. Um, <laughs> well, to me, it looks like an upside-down oil rig. But there you go. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. it does. Yeah, that's it's, it's so this it's a it's a normal looking normalish looking uh, carry uh, hull cargo. Uh, what do they call these carriers? These uh, bulk cargo these carrier, bulk cargo carriers, whatever. Ships? Anyway, containers. There we go. The container is the word I was looking for. Uh, that um, has the ability to carry like uh, big fuselage sections and wing sections and big parts of Airbuses. From uh, uh, parts of the world, Europe, and then over to uh, the only Airbus assembly plant uh, here in the United States in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, but the thing that's interesting about the ship is that they have these huge uh, pillars that are are projecting upward. And I'm thinking, what is? How does that provide any? any force or any assistance. And uh, so it has to do with something called the Flettner, F-L-E-T-T-E-N-E-R, Flettner rotor, or the Flettner, or the Magnus effect of the Flettner rotors. And they've even had, it's it's been a while, uh, but they've had airplanes that have experimented with using this, uh, this, phys- this physics. Propulsion uh, system propulsion mechanism or system. Uh, it's a, it causes an aerody- aerodynamic force to be generated in the direction perpendicular to both the long axis and the direction of airflow. And uh, Liz, if you'll, uh, oh, there you go, you got, if you click in, in that image, I think you'll get, actually get to play it. There's, there's a way to actually play this. Imp- no, back to it. And so if you hold your cursor over the middle of it, you should see like a play button there. No, just hold your cursor right over that image that we're looking at. Yeah, and it's not doing anything? Hmm. Yeah, that's disappointing. Um, Maybe it doesn't work in the presentation view. Anyway. We'll, we'll, we'll play with that later. Um, so there, it, that just shows, that's a shame because I was hoping that we could watch this, um, this rotor, um, you know, turning the cylinder turning and smoke being blown past it. And you can see how the, the effect or the turn of the rotor, um, is, um, causing a 90 degree force to, uh, to project from the, in this case, 
the the airflow is coming from right to left, and then the uh, resultant force is upward. And uh, again, that's the Magnus effect. And I'm thinking, well, okay, so if the ship is going straight, um, it it would have to be a wind force coming from the side, wouldn't it, to make the <laughs> yeah, resultant you've force? You, you've got exactly degrees? the same same direction as PGF because that was going. Hang on a minute. How does this provide a right. forward force? <laughs> I guess it's kind of like um, you know when when you have a when you're tacking uh, uh, with a sail, a sailing vessel, that you know you don't always have the wind right at your tail, right? Um, the, it's a lot of times to the side. Uh, so maybe it's sort of like I don't know. I'm not a sailor, so I don't know how all this stuff works. But well, yeah, I mean, it seems very directionally. Uh, important to get the airflow hitting your rotors at the right angle otherwise they're going to pull tip you over instead of pull pull you forwards uh so very dependent on your wind direction of course you're going forward so you're generating your own uh, wind uh heading towards it and uh, if there's no wind blowing you just can't use these things i wouldn't have thought because they'll just tip you over because any any airflow coming is coming straight towards you, uh, and it, the reaction is only to the side. So I'm going. I don't understand how this is a very practical solution. I guess they're trying to go. But they're, must... they're going green, right? Aren't they, Jeff? Yeah, they're. Oh, they are going green. Yeah. So uh, I just need to go over right. here and quickly push that button. We are going. They are going green. Well, um, we're going green. They're gonna. Take care of the earth. And of course, you've also got to spin these damn rotors using your own engines. Yeah, direct connection. Yeah, exactly. They're geared to to turn these things. I I don't know. Maybe somebody out there that has some some knowledge of this technology, maybe they could uh, kind of expound upon it or expand on it. But I that this ship is actually... An aircraft carrier. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, that's, oh, um, yeah. Uh, God, groan. Yeah, not really that funny. Uh, Tim Van um, Ram says uh, a keel. What's that? Tim Van, Tim Van Ram says, I wonder if the ship has a keel. That would allow sailing closer. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it probably wind. does. I mean. I would think any yeah. boat that's using the wind would need a keel. I think Captain Nick has to go over to Airbus and find out what's going on there. Well, yeah. I, I was I'll quite close to Airbus uh, a little while ago, so I should have asked them, shouldn't I? Yeah. A little disappointed you did. Yeah, well, oh, well. We have questions. That's the way it goes sometimes. In the community can answer. Yeah. Oh, this next item, we'll end our news segment with this. Um, let's see. From Paddle Your Own Canoe. Um, two passengers boarded a Viet jet flight from Bangkok to Taipei's Taiwan airport on Wednesday with at least 28 turtles, two otters, several rodents, a snake and a marmot, and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Were they getting on an airplane or an ark? Uh, in this case... An, an airplane. Uh, it's surprising <laughs> to think that the passengers thought that they could get away with smuggling so many live animals on the same flight. But it turns out that they were nearly, uh, very nearly caught after their luggage was flagged for additional checks at the uh, Bangkok airport. Unfortunately, after flagging the bag during routine x-ray screening, a security officer at uh, the Suvarnabhumi 
Suvarnabhumi Airport. So we were, yeah. <laughs> I uh, wish I could find that one. Uh, yeah, at the uh, I can't. No, it's it not there. Post. Darn it. Oh, that's the wrong one there. <laughs> very, very similar to Sphira Jaya. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, they uh, failed to open the bag. <laughs> so it was flagged, but they didn't open the bag and the passengers were allowed to board the flight. Uh, once they were in the air, several of the animals, including an albino rat and a, a rat and a baby otter, managed to escape the bag and were spotted by other passengers in the cabin of the Vietjet flight uh, number 564. Cabin crew called on the owners to come forward, and after some initial reluctance, one woman owned up to being responsible. On arrival in Taiwan, the woman's baggage was screened, and a whole host of other animals were discovered in her checked bag. It's not known what the smugglers intended to do with the animals, animals, but Taiwanese officials say the majority will need to be euthanized to comply with strict quarantine rules. That's sad. Oh, no. As, as for the security officer in Bangkok, local officials say that he's going to be flogged and probably uh, – yeah. no. Uh, it said the animals weren't detected <laughs> due to human error and that disciplinary proceedings will uh, could follow. Yeah. Ele- human error and several thousand bars. Neil Landwarren says it was an emotional support menagerie. Um, so, yeah, Neil, in our actually, it says Captain Jeff is great in our uh, live audience. Uh, emotional support menagerie is what this was. Yeah. Um, hmm, thank you, uh, thank you, Tim. For, uh, for that. Okay, it's time to get uh, you. Oh, look, Stevie Jaya. I found it. Okay, very good. Um, time to get to know you guys. Time to get to know us. Okay, well then I'll do this. Yay! Getting to know us. Time of the show where we get all caught up with what everybody has been up to. And, uh, yeah. Um, Camacho, you've been very, very busy. And uh, I, I assume it has mostly to do with work projects and such. But uh, why don't you fill us in? What's yep. been going on with you? Yeah, so I uh, I can't remember the last time I was on the show. I think I've missed three episodes, maybe. Really? Um, that many? Two at least. Uh, or two? Two. Maybe just yeah, two. Yeah, maybe two. <clears throat> um, yeah, I uh, was on work travel for a couple of weeks. Uh, so out in the um, San Luis Obispo area. When I left, I was a little bit bummed because, you know, here we usually get uh, like three weeks of good weather in the fall. Three weeks of good weather in spring, and then it's just bitterly cold in the winter, and it's bitterly hot in the summer. You missed it, didn't you? And it was really nice <clears throat> right as I was getting ready to leave. And so when I showed up, I told my boss, I said, hey, this better be worth it because you're burning two of my three good weeks in the fall. Um, but fortunately, it got – No, he laughed at me, and then it got really cold and almost snowed the next week. And it's uh, just now uh, returning to pretty nice weather. So I actually – Timed it perfectly, oh, perfect. much to my wife's despair, as I uh, disappeared and the, the weather got cold really bad for a week. Well, th- so we got like four inches of rain the first week I was gone in about a day and a mm-hmm. half. And then uh, then it was down in the 30s and 40s last week. And now we're back up into the 60s. So the weather uh, has been nice for my return. Uh, I got a bunch of stuff done for work. And then uh, additionally, I got to work on... Uh, the C-47, both C-47s, the, uh, the static display airplane that's in um, that's near us, as well as uh, Betsy's Biscuit Bomber. And then uh, the second weekend I was out there, uh, 
uh, actually got to fly it. So there's a picture of uh, of me uh, in the first officer's chair flying with one of our captains. Uh, we just did a quick little local tour. Um, here's an aerial picture of Hearst Castle, if anyone is familiar with that. It's a gig yep, gigantic sprawling estate there just north of San Luis Obispo on the coast of California. Um, Beautiful. Here's another. It's out there in the distance. You can kind of see it in front of that. Um, propeller blade mm -hmm. um, but we uh yeah we so um one thing we found is that um we even though it costs us money to fly the airplane it costs us a lot of money every time we fly the airplane uh the airplane is uh much more um is we have many less maintenance issues if we fly the airplane regularly which is a pretty common um belief and so we've really tried to uh, fly the airplane, uh, you know, no less than about once a month or once every six weeks or so. Uh, so if we don't have any shows or anything, we have just a little um, local scenic course that we take to get the airplane up and get it um, operational and get everything lubed up and, and get oil splashed everywhere, run fuel through the fuel system and keep it happy. So that's that's what uh, that was. We were just on one of our little... Um, local exercise flights, uh, got out on the coastline, got up over Hearst Castle and, um, got back safely. Here's a picture of one of, uh, one of the other guys took our, uh, T-34 up and did a little, uh, formation with us. So that was fun. It was a good trip. Good short. So that's, that's great. That's not you shut an engine down, down on that one? No, I have not shut, cause not, I have not shut an engine down on that one in that picture. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because okay. well, what? Because the propeller's not moving? Yeah. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Dangerous. <laughs> Dangerous. <laughs> um, I was going to ask about the uh, where I'm trying to recall. I've been to San Simeon and mm -hmm. uh, the Hearst Castle, um, like some kind of a field trip, or maybe it was a family outing when I was a kid. And I, I remember it very well, especially that pool. That is a very impressive. Oh, yeah. I haven't uh, been pool. there in ages, but I, I I remember them talking about the pool and like the gold flake, the gold leaf inlays, and the pool tiles and um, yeah, it's it's amazing. It really is. Yeah. And uh, is that so? Is that pretty close to uh, Paso Robles? Um, yeah, that whole area. Yep, okay. yep. So San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles is about uh, thirty or so minutes north of San Luis Obispo, and then San Simeon is as the crow flies probably the same distance west from Paso Robles. Mm. Um, so to drive there, it's a little longer, you know, it's probably a half hour drive from Paso Robles or like a 45 minute hour drive from slow, but it's, they all make this big triangle and um, mm -hmm. San Simeon's, you know, obviously you can see it's real beautiful. It's kind of, there's a small little mountain, uh, it's on the coast, and then immediately from the coast, as you go inland, it's kind of this little mountainous area before you drop into the little uh, Paso Robles Valley there. So it's mm -hmm. a, it's really a beautiful little place kind of um, off on its own. Yeah, and a neat, nice. neat place to visit. Neat. Yep. Very good. Cool. What else? Anything else? Yeah, um, we're glad you're Yeah, I think that was about it. Today. Time to get back to... Engine? Yeah, any update on the engine? Yeah. So I'm I'm close to putting it in the airplane. Ooh. Unfortunately, I had to extend my trip uh, about five days, so I'm a little behind where I wanted to be. Um, 
and I actually have the opportunity to take a uh, maintenance course this weekend. So I'll be uh, a little preoccupied this weekend, so I probably won't get back to working on it heavily until the beginning of next week. But I'm I'm hoping we're still only about a week or so away from dropping that thing in the airplane. And then take some pictures. And then, you know, a month or two of me building up my courage to take it out and fly it. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, what could possibly go wrong? I did get I so I had to send a, me in the I had to send a bunch of stuff out to get cleaned up or I ran or inspected or, you know, uh, the propeller governor, I sent the propeller governor out, sent the propeller out, um, sent my oil, um, oil pressure, oil temperature gauge out, all these things to either, uh, get calibrated or recertified. Uh, so I'd make sure I don't have any issues in the, in the, um, case of the gauge or like the propeller and the propeller governor, those are things that are directly tied into the oil system of the engine. So I wanted to make sure they were cleaned out and, um, you know, I didn't have any like leftover sludge or metal in those things that then, uh, introduced it to the engine. So did all that, d dumped all that stuff to various shops as I was leaving. And then was just, my wife was just continually, you got another package, you got another package, <laughs> you got another package. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not buying things. I don't know if that makes it better or worse, but I'm spending money on stuff we already had. It's not like I'm getting new stuff. <laughs> yeah. That money's already spent. Yeah. So. Sunk. Yeah, well, you know what? You me. need to get a test pilot to uh, fly that thing. Uh, oh, I guess you are the test pilot. I am the test pilot. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so I will have, uh, yep, I've got a, I've got a couple of different people that I'm trying to get lined up to come and look at it. So I get plenty of sets of eyes on it and then, um, yeah, we'll probably take someone up with me the first time just because uh, I haven't flown the airplane a whole lot. Um, so uh, I'm not uh, incredibly proficient. I'm, I've actually, I've got a buddy who has a debonair also. So I'm thinking about trying to go up and fly with him a couple of times just to get, you know, my brain kind of dialed in and, and make mm -hmm. sure that I'm where I need to be in terms of flying the airplane. Ah, uh, come on. Just go and John Wayne it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if I yeah. recall, Captain Nick, the last time you flew a single-engine airplane, you had a rocket strapped to your butt, so it wasn't a big deal if it failed. Well, that's true, but I'm just about to tell you of the last time I flew one, which is very recently. Oh, yeah. Very good. good. Let's hear about there. it. Good yep. Oh, well, can't wait to hear about that. Over to you, Captain I Nick. I guess we can. <laughs> <laughs> it's over to me. Okay, right. That was very nice to hear all about that and your shiny engine, Nick. Um, I have just come back from Hamburg where I did not have a hamburger. I'll explain what I Aww. did eat. But I was over here. You probably wish triple. you'd had. <laughs> uh, yeah, indeed, instead of what I did eat. I was over there for, uh, to give a talk to uh, um, the Hamburg Royal Aeronautical Society, which was uh, very good of them to fly fly me over there and put me up in a nice hotel. And, of course, I took the opportunity while I was there to meet up with our wonderful listener and podcaster in his own right, uh, Stefan. Now, Stefan, uh, retired 380 captain, um, has his own 
Uh, well, he's, I say his own aircraft. He um, w works at a flying school. So uh, he has access to a lot of airplanes. But we picked one that was close to the hangar doors <laughs> to save a lot of messing about, which uh, turned out to be a, a Piper, some kind of single-engine light aircraft thingy. Uh, I think uh, if you flick one on, Liz, you'll see the... There you go. A Piper Aircraft Corporation. What is it? A Comanche or something? That's a Cherokee. A, P, a PA-28 Cherokee. is a Cherokee. Yep. There you go. So that's what it was. Anyway, it was great fun. Um, uh, oh, wait a we minute. Had to, the, 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 the registration is dead duck? <laughs> oh, that's yeah. not good. I don't, would not want to fly that. Yeah, that. Yes, you're quite right. I hadn't spotted that. That's, well done. Uh, Stefan's going to love that when he hears that. <laughs> Brilliant. So uh, we had to drag the aircraft out all the way past those parked aeroplanes, and uh, I took a picture of it in its parked position because Stefan said I wasn't allowed to take a picture of those dead aeroplanes. Uh, one of which is uh, a queen of the sky who's lost a lot of her uh, attributes. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, apparently uh, one of the previous owners was a company dear to my own heart. So uh, I know where she came from. Anyway, um, off we went. Uh, Stefan uh, flew me around, which was great fun, and then said, do you want to go and uh, do some flying? And I said, yeah, that'd be wonderful. So we did some I, – I, it's not an aerobatic thing, so I did a steep turn. Uh, I managed to get around and hit my own slipstream, which is always good. You always know it's worked. Uh, did a, a touch-and-go go around and a touch-and-go at a local grass strip, which was grand. And then we did a tour of Hamburg looking at the beautiful River Elba. Uh, and uh, it's a fairly industrial place. Now, hang on a second here, uh, Liz, because there's some aeroplanes in that shot. Now, that is the Airbus factory where they uh, they complete um, construction and outfitting of A320s, and they have got a little airplane park out the front there. So uh, the big question is, what are those aeroplanes? Now, well, there's super a guppy, super obviously. guppy, yeah, in the obvious. middle. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, the other ones, um, not quite so certain. You know, I did actually take the trouble to, uh, yeah, to find out what they were. I think the one on the right is a French thing, some kind of atlas. <clears throat> uh, and then um, there the green one between the guppy and the atlas that looks like a transal and then you got a forward swept wing thing which yeah, what is that? i yeah it's a german thing i i'm a dawn of some kind i can't remember the number Donnier. and then you've got another thing with the engines mounted instead of slung under the wing on pylons they're stuck on top of the wing a oh, two engines like on the Honda top jet. Of, yeah that almost looks like a baby guppy next to that super guppy because the engines are in uh, tight like the super guppy no it's not it's a, it was mm. nor atlas uh i said atlas is a nor atlas yeah uh but no there's uh there's another thing with the engine stuck on top another strange yeah they're on the far thing. left there yeah indeed so that was an interesting uh moment don't want to go on too long trying to guess but 
Um, so uh, let's uh, flick on there, Liz. And, of course, we saw some of the nicer sites of uh, Hamburg. Uh, there's a beautiful cathedral. That's that building right in the foreground is their new opera house. Uh, and oh. it's a great success. Everyone apparently loves it. Uh, and then we flew on back to our point of departure, which was Hamburg Airport. And interestingly, Stefan uh, lined up behind um, an airliner. I don't know what it was, uh, Airbus 320 or something. Um, and I was going, geez, we're going to, you know, if we're not careful, we're going to get turned upside down by the weight turbulence of this thing because we're landing directly behind it. But Stefan was very clever. He adjusted his landing point and angle of approach to land at the intersection of the two runways, which is well down the runway. So all the time we made our approach, we stayed above the wake turbulence mm -hmm. uh, and the vortices. So I thought that was really nice job. And um, then we landed uh there's a funny thing sticking out the top of stefan's airplane <laughs> i don't know what that is yeah that um, but not aerodynamic at all yeah exactly yes but um because uh, we'd had to push it out uh stefan suddenly found a motorized um towing device which was like a lawnmower uh was that one of yours camacho attached, no, not, <laughs> not one of mine <laughs> attached uh, the front wheel, which uh, towed the airplane in. Uh, and then we refueled, but Stefan had to point out that they're right on the uh, middle of those oh. stickers. It says Nix 64 litres, which apparently <laughs> how many litres of fuel we had to add because I was on board because I'm, I'm not a small <laughs> chap. <laughs> so nice. out of an extra yeah. 64 litres on because Nick was flying. And that's there he is, Stefan putting the extra 64 all that litres. extra fuel. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. But that was a great fun flight and uh, lovely to see Stefan. But it didn't end there because uh, Stefan then uh, we met up in the evening and had lots of fabulous German beer and had a meet-up, uh, and there's some audio to play, please, folks. All right. Jeff, hi, it's Nick, and welcome hi. to Germany. We're in Hamburg, and I'm at the Dustdorf restaurant, uh, and I'm here with my great friend, uh, Stefan, and some new friends who will introduce themselves. Now, Stefan's putting his hand in front of his face because we've been arguing about the pronunciation of his name. Anyway, look, here I am. And we're going to go around the table, as usual. So all the best, and please uh, forgive the finger trouble. Uh, I'm going to send you, uh, first of all, over to my left. Here we go. Yes. Um, hi, Jeff. Hi, um, ABG crew. My name is Kai. I'm located here in Hamburg. I'm not in your industry. I work for a major uh, US IT company, and yeah, I love flying my ultralight plane, but um, that's all what I have to say. Hello, I'm Stefan. You can also call me Steve if that's easier. I'm also from Hamburg, and uh, it's a very good opportunity to meet uh, Nick and some other good friends. I work for a shipping company though, but I'm interested in aviation for over 30 years. Uh, but when I fly, it's usually as a passenger. Hi, I'm uh, Tim. I'm from Berlin. I just got my private pilot's license alongside my regular day job. And in my regular job, I uh, love that 
there is like a relatively small community and everybody is uh, super inviting. And now that I joined the pilot community, I realized that that community is even smaller and even nicer. So uh, way to go. <laughs> Thanks. It's my turn. Hi, Jeff. Uh, hi, everybody. Hi, Liz. Hi, uh, Steph. Um, you know, Stefan from Hamburg calling. I know you're really up to hear about our German funny accents. That's why you really love to record our voices. I know that's right. <laughs> Let's see uh, Nick laughing about it. Yes, uh, welcome. We are very crowded, small places here. And I'm going to, you know, um, getting a lot of German food into... Nick, I wonder how he will like that. And uh, maybe next time we see over in the States or somewhere else. And uh, great show. Keep on. Oh, back to you to the studio. I was told that. You have to cut the rest out, okay? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds like you had a great meetup. Oh, we did. Um, this was a, a nice old traditional restaurant, and uh, their specialty was Wiener Schnitzel. So uh, that was that mm. was superb. Really enjoyed that. That was uh, lovely. Um, and uh, of course, next day I was going to give my talk, but beforehand I had nothing much to do. So Stefan was going to be busy, but then his student cancelled on him because uh, uh, the the weather wasn't brilliant. So he pitched up. And uh, we wondered what to do. I would love to have seen the miniature world that it features in Hamburg, but it's so popular, it's almost impossible to get tickets. Instead, we went into a, an old Russian submarine, uh, the U-434, and uh, we had a good clamber around the U-434, which, uh, you know, a Cold War Soviet submarine, it was... Uh, Kind of even worse than I could possibly have imagined. But anyway, we uh, and there were some pretty tight accesses to go in. Uh, and I wondered actually who made this submarine because there wasn't any real way to tell until we got to the engine room. And there I found a little manufacturer's plaque there uh, in the middle. Uh, so that was no surprise at all. A good, it was a good Austrian name, isn't it, Boeing? Uh, it is indeed. That's exactly. Uh, it's spelled slightly wrong, but there you go. Well, it's yeah, very, very good indeed. So that was uh, a, a fun thing to crawl around. Um, uh, but uh, as a parting gift, uh, uh, Stefan took me to one of the lovely little cafes they have on the edge of the river, uh, where we had. Now, I have no idea how to pronounce that. Matthias Brochen. Brochen. Uh, Sounds pretty good. Um, I know what it is in English. It's soused herring. But I didn't know what it was until it pitched up. And that's what we ate. So it's a kind of raw herring. Pickled. Um, pickled. Pick, well, pickled is vinegar. This is sort of put in salt. Mm. Uh, with oh. the salt kind of cures it a bit, but like that's that's what we is had that, for it, lunch. I was a very is that brave onion? boy. Is that Sorry? onion that's also on there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll say that or a leg, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, it looks like it's trying to crawl no, away, doesn't it? But this is, this was another traditional German, uh, particularly uh, for Hamburg, and of course uh, Stefan loved his, and mm -hmm. I did my best yours? to love mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that yeah, was that's next that was, he's eating. Yeah, yeah. He's demonstrating in that picture just how much he loves it. But then it was time to go to the airport uh, after the talk, which went fine, uh, and uh, go to the airport and go home. 
So that kind of was my Hamburg trip, all done and dusted. Uh, quite enjoyed the flights, by the way. Uh, two Airbuses, they were fine. Um, after that, um, only a few days, I think I got one clear day at home, uh, I was off up to Manchester to TAS, uh, T-A-S, The Aviation Society. And uh, I gave a talk, second time I've been up there, and uh, gave a talk to TAS, and this uh, was live-streamed on YouTube by Airliners Live, if, you're, if you know of that. Um, they are a, a, a set up there. Uh, they film aircraft flying in and out of Manchester. I think they go further afield than that, but uh, very nice pair of guys. And in addition to showing pictures of aircraft, they get involved with uh, the Aviation Society at Manchester and they televise their talks. So I got televised uh, my talk. Uh, and that was Carlos from PTUK who watches... And he went, oh, there's, there's Captain Dick. We'll have, we'll have the link in the show notes to the YouTube. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we're, uh, Liz is reminding that we're going to put a link to uh, the uh, Airliner's Life and also to uh, that particular um, recording of the talk. So if you're interested, it's a, it was a new talk for me to give. It was It's all about the F-18. Uh, and uh, if you're interested, it's all there. Uh, and while I was there... Uh, I also met the cadets of 284 Squadron, the RAF Air Cadets, and um, I managed to palm them off with a few hats, Jeff. So I'm slowly oh, whittling down the supply of the hat hats collection. that you left behind when you came my to visit. My whole box has a question but for you, Nick. Was my talk in German? Nine! Nine! Nine. <laughs> uh, no, lucky, I was very lucky that uh, it, most of the audience actually were relatively young um, and uh, some were retired uh, Airbus engineers uh, including a lovely lady who had helped design and build the A340 so that was fascinating most of them are current uh, engineers or people living in uh, working in Hamburg uh, so and they of course being um, a very well-educated uh, place. They all spoke pretty good English, certainly better than my German. Um, yeah, and back to Tass, I just wanted to thank Mike, who was the, the uh, guy that organises the lectures and uh, got me along. And Simon, the chap who is one of our devoted listeners, who um, entertained me the first time I went up to Manchester, and I met him again this time around. So that was all fine and beautiful, great fun. And uh, just a reminder, I'm heading up to the Hawker Association, which is at the YMCA Hawker Centre in Kingston on the 8th of November. So that is uh, early next week. And I'll, I think that talk is at about 2 o'clock, 1.45, I think they open the doors. Uh, and I'm giving uh, the, the talk I normally do, which is about, you know, phantoms and soviet bears and all that kind of stuff uh so uh, i'm sorry to have taken so long this time but that has been uh, my busy a very busy week yes very interesting i have a question um mm. the uh, uh audio from your meetup uh, i'm confused um there was a gentleman there uh, his name was pronounced stefan and then we had 
Stefan. Is, are those two, are those spelled differently? Is one yes. with an A-N and the other with an E-N? Yes. Okay. Now, the thing that confused me is uh, Stefan with an E, Stefan, or Stefan, um, he spells his name differently on various um, social media. Oh. So I wasn't certain of how the spelling was. Or Why did I, you do I that? I went by his, yeah, exactly right. But there was also a <laughs> Stefan there. So uh, we had gotcha. Stefan okay. and Stefan. So that, hence the discussion about how to pronounce it. I see, because that just confused me even more when I heard that yeah. audio. And there. I okay. hold boxes knows how to pronounce uh, Matthias Brotchen. Matthias Brotchen, Matthias the Brotchen. name of that. Matthias Brotchen. That, yeah, that soused herring. He's a, a font of hamburger. A font, a veritable cornucopial font of useless information. <laughs> yes. Doused right. herring for a soused pilot is what uh, <laughs> I mean. I've got a show title using soused there. Yeah. yeah. But I have to say, the beer is fabulous. Uh, and we mm. nearly went in and bought a marzipan penis, but we didn't do that. Pardon me? They, Stefan was showing me a cafe where they're, they're a speciality cafe. <laughs> Where you can buy a marzipan penis. And uh, darn it. But I'm not very we, good at this. Uh, I'm a little we late. decided I we decided I didn't want one. So. Maybe Jilly, okay. maybe Jilly well, wanted one. Well, that's okay. exactly what um, I was gonna buy it for, Liz. I was gonna buy it for my mm. wife. But uh, uh. All right. Well that's doing, interesting. Jeff? Thank you for sharing that. Um <laughs> Well, what have I been doing, Liz? Well, of course, I've been doing my, you know, that thing. I do a lot of that, especially lately. We've uh, had some special masses uh, recently. Uh, and, of course, this week, um, All Hallows, we uh, All Hallows Eve, um, a lot of people refer to it as Halloween, um, uh, because All, All Hallows is All Saints, All Saints Day the next day. Uh, which was, I guess, Wednesday, and we had a special, uh, I sang at a couple masses that day. And then uh, we are coming up um, in this week, uh, the 25th anniversary of uh, St. Peter Chanel. So there are some special masses being held at the uh, at our church, and uh, so we're, we're pretty busy doing that stuff, lots of rehearsals and all that kind of thing. Um, and uh, let's see, oh, also, I uh, received um, an email from one of our community members, and um, I, I thought he wanted to meet up with me, but it turns out that well, you'll you'll hear um, you'll hear what the real deal is in this audio from our meetup. Okay, so a quick um, meetup audio with uh, this KLM crew. What what does KLM stand for against it? Koninklijke Luchtvaartmaatschappij. So I was going to say that, but I wanted to let my my guest here, uh, and who I've been calling Jur or Jur, but it turns out it's neither. So please tell our audience how do you pronounce your name? Jur. Uh, it's short for Jurian, but uh, Jur is easier, especially for our uh, non-native Dutch speakers. Thank you very much. So. I'm here at the Iron Hill Brewery in uh, Buckhead, uh, an area of uh, an upscale area of Atlanta, because only the best for the KLM crew. Buckhead, that's a pretty nice hotel you're staying in, right? JW Marriott, uh, I've seen worse. Anyway, 
Uh, so uh, you uh, called me up and said, or actually emailed me and said uh, he was going to be here. And uh, so here I am. I after. Uh, the five o'clock mass headed down and uh, got to meet this wonderful group of people. Uh, you know, aviation professional airline crews are always, for the most part, awesome people. And uh, so, I'll, I'm going to save your for last, if you don't mind. And if you want to, you want to say something, you can even just say hi or whatever. You don't have to say anything if you don't want. No, you don't want to say anything. Oh, okay. Uh, would you like to? Hi. Ooh, I like that. Hi. And what's your name? It's Marilyn. Yeah, I tried to remember that, and uh, that didn't work. Okay, so we're going to pass the microphone around, and I think this guy right here, he is the first officer of the crew, and he looks to me like he's not afraid to say something, so. <laughs> uh, now I have to. Yeah, my name is uh, Gerben, uh, first officer of this uh, KLM crew. Yeah. And I'm very happy to uh, be here in the, how it's called again, the Iron... Uh, Iron Hill. Iron Hill. Yeah, they have great beers, I must say. And the Empire of South, what do you call it? Yeah. And it's uh, yeah, it's nice to be, to visit to, to see you, Jeff. It's uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've been I've been told that a lot. In- yeah, Jeff. Nice to meet you. You're you're interesting. <laughs> That's not necessarily a good thing, but I'll take it. Thank you. Very nice to meet you as well. And uh, and then of course the guy that kind of organized this and made it all happen, uh, you're here. So uh, say something to our APG community, sir. Yeah, I will. I was actually uh, looking for the beer pointers uh, in Atlanta, but now I have the honor to meeting uh, Captain Jeff uh, himself in the flesh, which is really cool. And I'm a junior member of the uh, APG community, but uh, enjoying it and uh, wishing you well. And I hope uh, to see more of you guys. So what I'm getting from this is he really did not want to meet with me. He just wanted me to give him some good pointers for good food and good beer. Oh, well, sorry. Sorry to disappoint. No, anyway, uh, very nice to uh, meet you in person. And as always, it's great to be with this wonderful airline crew. And that's about it. I think I'm going to go ahead and just send this back to the studio. So why don't you, uh, hey, how, how about this? In Dutch, say, back to you in the studio, Jeff. Terug naar studio, Jeff. There you go. It was a, a really, really nice meetup uh, with your and his crew. Uh, yeah, the, the first person I tried to stick a microphone in front of was his second officer, and he had didn't want anything shy? to do with it. <laughs> yeah, he was but a little he shy, I guess. he with a gun. He did not threaten me with a gun, Liz. That's true. Yeah, thankfully. Um <laughs> Yeah, so we had a good time, good uh, food, good beer, and uh, it was there was a flight attendant there. Yeah, Moyan or whatever I think her name was. Yeah, she was in there. Right. Yeah, I think it was because I was talking to you uh, when when she was talking. Sorry, Liz. Um, But anyway, it was a it was a great uh, time. That was a busy day for me. I did my normal four masses, and then between the third and fourth mass, um, I met with uh, Natalie, my youngest. And we had a very nice lunch here in uh, Historic Roswell and then went back to the five o'clock and then down to uh, Buckhead to meet up with the uh, KLM crew. And it was, yeah, I was definitely ready for some beer that evening. It was a great day, lots uh, jam-packed with all kinds of great stuff. And um, let's see, I also wanted to mention that um, the um, last 
uh, show or the one we talked about. I think it was the last show we were talking about the uh, the meltdown of uh, the the dude that uh, hadn't had a lot of sleep yeah, and yeah. did the magic mushrooms and pulled the tried to pull the fire handles. Uh, had a nice uh, comment on the video from somebody named. Well, I don't know what his name is. Uh, PD Questions is the uh, YouTube channel. PD Questions seven six seven three. Uh, he said, love this podcast, really appreciate your perspective on aviation incidents. I'm not sure if mental health is the problem in aviation, considering the number of recent losses of separation and runway slash airport environments and an actual recent collision at Houston uh, Hobby. Uh, I think we should expand our concern to look carefully at mental fitness beyond just being healthy. I don't know if it's complacency or just a robotic confidence in the system, but I think the mental, I think Mental sharpness and fitness of pilots is an issue. Maybe if we raise the standard to something way above simply being free of mental conditions and instead establish a standard that mental fitness for aviation should be more akin to being a mental athlete than maybe people struggling with personal issues and depression will see it more clearly and they have to self-eliminate and not get anywhere near a cockpit. I'll, all I have to say about that is I'm glad that they don't have uh, super high mental athlete standards, um, but I'm glad that I'm, I'm about to retire and then that way they wouldn't have to weed me out of the system. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you and me both, <laughs> Jeff. You're self-eliminated, Jeff. <laughs> um, oh, and uh, I should mention also quickly that uh, Faro de Pueso, uh, the uh, Brazilian podcast, Landing Light, uh, published their uh, – the, the show that they uh, interviewed me on. And normally their shows only last about an hour or maybe a little bit more. Uh, this one was two hours and 49 minutes. Got to get to that three hour thing. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I almost well three done. hours of me just yeah. talking. You know, it was, uh, I, I, I've no apologized. no one understanding standing a word you're saying, yeah? <laughs> <Not> exactly. <laughs> poor, <laughs> these poor Brazilian people are going, what? Huh? Uh, anyway, uh, for many reasons for them saying, what? <laughs> Uh, we'll put a link to that yeah. in the show notes if you're interested to hear me, you know, go on and on and on about Good. the whole how I got into flying and podcasting and all that kind of stuff. Another meetup so. coming up next weekend, yeah. Anyway, oh yeah, there is another meetup coming up uh, this next weekend, and uh, let's uh, hear about that. Hey, Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Miami Rick, if you're there, one never knows. Hey, Captain Nick and Nick Camacho. Hello, everybody, and hello, APG listeners. This is your main man, Micah. And you know, it's Halloween season, so Brian and I decided to do something really spooky. We're going to have a meetup. Yes, we're going to have a The Journey is a Reward meetup, but all APG listeners are invited, and that's going to take place in Tampa, Florida. And you know when that's going to happen? Why don't you tell them, Brian? It's Sunday, November 12th at 4 p.m., and we're meeting at Your Pizza Shop. It's not my pizza shop. It's the pizza shop called Your Pizza Shop, and it's located at 1200 8th Avenue in Largo. And the menu looks great, and they've got a wonderful selection of beers, and we're hoping that a bunch of listeners will join us here. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to get a chance to get together. And look, you guys, you're all invited. So, Jeff, you know, you're practically retired now. Why don't you fly down for the day? Yeah, fly down to Tampa and come visit with us. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, I wish I could, but I'm going to be up in Annapolis for a, a football game. Um, but uh, I know you guys will have a great time, and I'm hoping that uh, people that are listening to this show and that live in the Tampa 
the greater Tampa, St. Petersburg area will have a chance to uh, head to Largo for some good pizza and beer and all that stuff. All right. Um, now, Captain Nick, if uh, you'll tell us about this wonderful uh, cover <laughs> art from, from the last episode. Well, I wasn't on the show, so I, I kind of yeah. got a, a quick brief. Uh, it was a great show. Yeah, <laughs> I can see it would have been without me. Um, so that was the, as I was given as a title, Threat Level 591, and it was about the guy who uh, went a bit loopy on the flight deck. So I tried to do a loopy guy on the flight deck pulling Where's levers. the show number? And, and um, yeah, and then I hid the show number so that no one would find no, it's it. So and uh, of course, it's there, plain and simple. <laughs> it's the title. So uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that was well it. Done. Uh, it. Not a hard one, but uh, uh, I thought he looked quite interesting. Really, uh, just the sort of man you want to have working beside you. Yeah, I kind of. I looked at that. That's a younger looking. Uh, that's what I looked like when I was a little bit younger. I think. Yeah. <laughs> when you had hair. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I still have hair. Just you dark, do. I do. It's, it's lighter hair. Is um, it yours? Your yeah, this is my real hair. Oh, okay. Yeah, well. Um, well, all right. Well done, well done, sir. Well done. Um, Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. Yes, please. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. The Coffee Fund is your way to support the show in a financial way if you have the financial resources to do that. And uh, let's see, we have a couple different things, uh, mechanisms for you to do that. One's called the uh, Coffee Fund Classic Method, which is basically a PayPal donation page. Uh, we have our monthly uh, contributors that uh, are, are still going strong. Thank you. And uh, But most of the time it's uh, used for like one off kind of every now and then kind of uh, contributions. And uh, none using that mechanism since the last episode. But we do have a new patron. Patreon.com is the other way to, that you can support the show financially and be part of the Coffee Fund cadre. And um, Keith Carlson. Uh, now, you may have heard of Keith. You sent in feedback in the past. Uh, he ended up getting a sport, uh, light sport license or light sport certificate, I guess, more correctly. And then he ended up buying a light sport aircraft and he filled us in on flying it down to Little Rock, Arkansas, and uh, and some of the things that he's been doing with that. And uh, I got a chance to meet up with Keith and Tim Qualls and Keith's family, uh, I don't know, last year sometime, I think, um, in Little Rock at a very nice restaurant. And uh, Keith tr uh, treated for that. That was very nice. And uh, so he is the, uh, the new patron, Keith. And he also sent uh, this message on uh, Patreon. He said, Captain Jeff and APG crew, our uh, old friend Keith from Little Rock. Hope all is well. I've been meaning to do this for a while and become a Patreon patron. Uh, apologies for not doing sooner. 
Uh, your podcast was an early inspiration to me to finally live my dream and get my pilot's license. And so the least I can do is repay the favor. Uh, thank you for all you do. Some exciting news in my world, given the state of my current industry, which is mortgage lending, and current state of the airline business and the pilot shortage, I've decided to go full throttle into my rating and hours with a goal of early to mid-2025 to reach the magical 1,500 hours and apply to the regionals. It's been my lifelong dream to be an airline pilot, and for much of my life, I didn't think it possible. With encouragement from a pilot friend at Envoy and another at United, this is the time. I'll be 44 when I hit the 1,500 hours mark and would still have at least a 20-year career ahead of me. I'm about to complete my instrument rating, and then we'll do the commercial quickly thereafter, leading into CFI and then multi. If you'll remember, I started my journey with just my sport pilot license, but have since picked up my PPL and my complex endorsement. I have to fly about 20 hours per week over this next year, so lots of early mornings and late afternoons around my work schedule. And once I have the CFI, I'll supplement flying my own aircraft with picking up a few students at the local flight school. I'll keep everyone posted on my journey, and thank you again for the fabulous show, maintaining the 50%, and keeping me company on those long cross-countries. Cheers. Keith. Wow. Thank you, Keith, for uh, that wonderful note. And uh, yeah, we need to ring the applause for that. And I don't know why I can't see it here. Here we go. That'll work. Thank you, Keith. Good job. Good job. Congratulations. uh, Yeah, we're uh, really looking forward to hearing updates on your progress. And that's that's so cool, making a uh, mid-career change like this. It's uh, pretty uh, pretty bold, and uh, I'm glad timing, you're though. taking that step. But yeah, the timing is great, and we hope that it works out well for you. Excellent. All right. Time for some feedback. Captain, incoming message. All right, we've been holding this one for Captain Nick, and so he is now here, and you're going to see why, because this is something that's near and dear to Captain Nick's heart. (laughs) Uh, This is sent to us from Rick, and he says, I'm sure Captain Nick follows this closely. Uh, Elite pilots prepare for, this is from uh, AP News, APnews apnews.com. Elite pilots prepare for camping out in the sky as they compete in prestigious ballooning race. It's been 15 years since the world's elite gas balloon pilots have gathered in the United States for a race whose roots stretch back more than a century. Um, And this is uh, from Albuquerque, New Mexico, flying high in the air. Pilots Barbara Frick or Fricky and Peter Cuneo will have little room to stretch their legs in a small basket. A solar panel, Cheez-Its, and a GPS unit will also take up space as the accomplished Albuquerque ballooning pilots compete to travel the farthest distance in one of the world's most prestigious races. They'll at least have a trap door on the side of the four-by-five-foot wide basket so they can stretch out if needed. (laughs) Be careful. Um... You've got to start thinking, yes, I'm going to live in this basket for three days, and this is going to be home, and I'm just camping out in the sky, Fricky said. The pair will be among three American teams in a gas balloon race with roots that stretch back more than a century. 
What's more, it's been 15 years since the world's elite ballooning pilots have gathered in the United States. Uh, they're they're competing for the this year's Gordon Bennett um, Award, I guess, uh, during an international balloon fiesta that draws hundreds of thousands of spectators to the heart of New Mexico each fall. I uh, going back to the to the basket and being. I don't I don't know if this is a if these two are a couple or they're just uh, they have different names, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're not a couple. But so. Th- Three days. Can you hold it for three days, or are you going to have to do? Oh, that's your... what the trapdoor's for, presumably. Ah, okay. And I guess you uh, you just grin and you just hope the other person looks Look the other away. way and Look away. Yeah, yeah. You okay. Hit somebody on the ground. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> you don't want any bombers. Well, you could just, yeah, those big seagulls. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I'm think? sure it's Mick, are you, be I'm, it, fine. Is this something that you might be interested in? Maybe I mean, you know, you're still a young man. You can get into the sport. Ah, uh, I was just thinking um, how much fun that would be, and <laughs> it's so much fun. I don't think my heart could stand it. You know, so I, I don't think you'll find me doing that in just a hurry. Like eating some herring, right, Nick? Yeah, exactly right. I wonder if they're both going to go to sleep at the same time. I don't think that would be a good idea. Well, I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, it's not like they can avoid (laughs) anyone. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they're just floating around. They're not piloting. Yeah. You're just along for the ride. If they saw someone coming and they decided to try and avoid them, it would take them so long. The person would have gone past and gone halfway across the country before they did anything. But there you go. Uh, I think the biggest worry, they're quite right, is that they could be mistaken for Chinese spy balloons, yeah, uh, and uh, they're probably going to get shot down. Well, there are some positive <laughs> spin. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> or, how, you know, I, I forgot to ask you about this. Uh, your um, background, your video background is showing a lot of fireworks exploding in the back. That could be a possible risk if you're a, a hot air balloon or a... Or a um, Hot well, or a balloon, gas balloon. They, these are pilot. these are elite gas balloon. Uh, uh, is that e light gas? So it's a special kind of light gas, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, they're they're a gas balloon race. So uh, mm-hmm. they spend their time throwing out a handful of dirt or something to maintain their altitude. So uh-huh. uh, <laughs> yeah, so they go to the bathroom. Different. I'm, so long as they don't use hydrogen. To uh, which actually is I think a, they is a I think really they do light actually. Gas. Ooh, okay. Well, fine. Did, didn't I read that be. in there? I may have I so may have misread I that, but I, th- I did. I did read the article and about I, hydrogen, and I thought in, they in said them. something about hydrogen. I'm thinking, well, that I thought we figured out uh, about a hundred years ago or whatever that uh, that's not a good idea. Oh yeah, usually hydrogen. There you go. The the okay. balloons have an envelope filled with a gas lighter than air, usually hydrogen. It's actually not a bad gas, except for the fact that it's explosive, of course. <laughs> Better than helium because uh, helium's a heavier gas. Hydrogen, I think, is actually. Did you say there lighter. was a gas lighter in them? That's not good. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That could be very you hazardous. Fools. No, don't <laughs> throw away oh, the a gas, gas lighter. lighter than hey, helium. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Brown's in the thing. Oh, uh, yeah. Albuquerque. 
Yeah, James Graves Brown, uh, so Captain Ridiculous Wits. I have some amazing pictures from this year's balloon fiesta. I'll send you guys an email with some photos. Yeah, send it just to Captain Nick. No, no, uh, right. no, had a great fine. view from my Liz, front Liz porch. loves receiving those kind of emails. That's, that's absolutely fine. All right, moving along. I'm I'm getting the uh, you got a video. Move alongside. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, I have a video on this one. Yeah, mm. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're probably right. Near, what is it about? Near miss at uh, PDX. <sighs> okay. Thanks. Um, that helps. Um, yes. Number four. Yeah. Thank you. That even helps more because I titled my videos with the, the numbers. Um, okay. So let's move on, shall we, to the next. Oh, by the way, thank you, um, dear whoever that was, Rick, Rick. I think, that sent yeah, that Rick. in. I, I'm Captain Nick, really appreciate it. All right, here we go. We have some uh, video from Vass Aviation, Real Aviation Communications, using liveatc.net audio. Okay, let me stop this. Uh, we're looking at an overhead view of or uh, simulation of Portland, Oregon's uh, airport, PDX, and uh, two airplanes taking off on parallel runways. And uh, let me see, let me back it up just a little bit so we can catch the very first radio call. Okay, I think right about here. Boom. Alaska starts turning right, not Sky West. And of course, the Alaska flight's going right toward the other one. Maintain Alaska fold nine nine fly runner heading fly runner heading. Alaska fold nine eight fly heading two seven zero. Alaska fold ninety eight fly heading two seven zero. Hello, is this on? Got thirty nine seventy eight fly heading three four zero. Maintain six thousand. Three four zero six thousand. Sky West thirty nine seventy eight. Alaska twelve ninety nine. Traffic heading to your right is northbound one thousand four hundred. 1299, Maintain 4,000, Alaska 299. What was the frequency? Alaska 1199, there you have it. Another case of um, miscommunications um, and uh, you know, possible potential conflict, uh, like a midair uh, collision. Luckily, that was uh, averted by the uh, controller. And um, 
again, right at the very beginning, the Alaska, uh, for whatever reason, it doesn't state, uh, they initiated a go around. It wasn't a commanded go around from the tower. And then I guess maybe they just assumed that the next radio call would be for them to do something. And it was actually, uh, and it was kind of on our liveatc.net recording. Um, it wasn't super clear you know, that it was for the SkyWest, although the numbers matched the SkyWest flight. The very first part of it was a little, eh, not very clear. Um, yeah, a bit sketchy. It sort of blotted out a little. But uh, Yeah, and, and I don't know if that's really what the case was in, you know, in the, in the real world communications or if just a person that recorded this communication on their scanner, you know, it just had a little kind of a, a blip. But that could definitely contribute to um, communication failures Break, breakdown. or breakdowns. And um, I don't think that the uh, controller uh, did a good hear back uh, when it, or you know when he was supposed to listen to the readback from the Alaska Air pilot because the Alaska Air guy you know clearly said, okay, fly, you know, heading whatever the heading was 290 or whatever initially. And uh, and then it didn't. It wasn't picked up immediately by the tower controller that he had, you know, answered for the wrong. I mean, he they were executing the 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 directive um, in error. Um, but they got it all sorted out. But uh, it there was a good period of time there. It seems to me that uh, there wasn't any. Nobody was answering anything. Uh, just the controller, um, you know, putting out instructions. And uh, obviously, a lot of communication or uh, confusion happening there. Yeah, um, I agree hundred percent, Jeff. Uh, and I, I doubt that radio call was as bad as we heard it because the guy that's probably got a monitor is probably not right over the airfield as these guys were. He's probably some distance out and at ground level, which is the same height as. Uh, the tower's transmitters there at ground level. Uh, so uh, I think the aircraft probably heard it fine. And anyway, uh, the numbers are really quite different. It's not like it was SkyWest 3999. It was SkyWest 3978 against Alaska 1299. Um, it's slightly disappointing that Alaska didn't have the SA to look at their TCAS because I think that traffic uh, advisor and collision avoidance system because I think that would have probably led them to question the turn they were given uh, because it's obviously bringing them towards another aircraft. Um, and a bit of a worry that the tower had to call them two or a couple of times before when he was trying to get them to correct their heading uh, and they didn't respond. And I know realised they're in a go-around but, uh, you know, and things are a bit busy, particularly when you're trying to clean up uh, after a go-around. Uh, you know, you should really be able to keep this out. Um, how do you mitigate this sort of thing? Well, um, I don't know. The, the RT was probably fine. Uh, the guy needs to listen for the readback, particularly when you've got 
aircraft that are adjacent. But we kind of have already mitigated this because we fly with TCAS nowadays. Now, as long as they weren't so low that TCAS wouldn't operate, uh, and I think they were probably above that altitude, um, TCAS gives you a lot of situational awareness you didn't have before, as does looking out of the window, uh, which is the old-fashioned way of... <laughs> of working, making TCAS work. Um, so that that is always the fallback. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the controller uh, eventually got a grip of it and uh, got them all to turn. Um, I don't know quite why he was so nice to everyone. He, nice to the Southwest, he could have been a bit sharper with Alaska because, after all, they're the ones that caused the problem. That's 499, fly runway heading and maintain 3,000. 3,000, fly runway heading, Alaska 1299. Okay, we're good. Okay, that was good instruction. That's the guy that's yeah. on the go. Now let's hear from SkyWest. 3978, wind able, start your right turn, 340. See what I mean at the very beginning of that? Again, we're not sure if yeah. that's just the live ATC or if that's really yeah. kind of covered up a little bit. But um, but also, when, when able, start your right turn. They're obviously anticipating a right turn as, as their departure. The Gurand aircraft wouldn't necessarily be expecting a right turn. So right, I that's that true. Yeah, especially because they're on the left. Bit. They're on the left run, parallel runway, and you Indeed. would expect that you'd be turning to the left to exactly uh, right. enter the pattern. Anyway, I guess the bottom line is that they uh, they, they kept these two airplanes apart. I think we made some good points. You need to be as situationally aware as you possibly can be, both by listening and also l using your eyeballs, looking for other airplanes out there, and just you know. Tr and uh, as controllers, you should be listening better uh, to who is taking your instruction. You know, so indeed, you know, in the future, um, CPDLC and uh, the the data link uh, that we now transfer. Uh, instructions that aren't time critical to aircraft like clearances, this sort of thing. Um, that may be quick enough to react directly with the craft's um, mm. flight control systems, with the autopilot, for example, um, so that when air traffic want you to do something, they'll type it in and they'll direct it to your aircraft. It'll come up and you, all you'd, you'll do is authorize the change. Uh, and, I can't see um, that happening in that kind of an environment right there, right at the air, right off the ground. I think no. it's going to get there eventually, Jeff. At the moment, I'm it's not going to be in those airplanes. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I'm going to be driving my motor home, and good luck to the rest of you all out there. Quite right, too. Yeah, but, you know, it will give us something to talk about. All the different, all the crashes that we uh, that we'll be covering on the show. That's good. It'll be a lot of good material. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, let's uh, continue with uh, some more feedback and in this case oh and is it um oh yeah yeah mike deaver who calls himself gus um sent this in sorry i oh, i guess we probably didn't need to say that he was probably trying to trying to be anonymous so gus sent this um this cartoon in and uh, are you showing that right now okay um it says, uh, so, so it's a cabin, uh, passenger cabin of an airliner and uh, two seats on the right-hand side. And this one passenger on the aisle is kind of looking with 
um, concern, great concern and fear at the his seatmate uh, the that he's sharing the uh, the row with, uh, who was at the uh, window seat. And of course, it is the Grim Reaper sitting there with his uh, scythe. scythe. I was going to say Sith, and I'm thinking, no, that's not right. Scythe. And, um, Sith Lord. <laughs> there we go. And then uh, the uh, Grim Reaper says, relax, I'm here for the pilot. Yeah. <laughs> bam. There we go. Oh, that's what I'm here oh, for yeah. too. There's our own Grim Reaper. <laughs> Who is Very the Grim Reaper. Yeah. And he is, he is the pilot. Yeah. He, he'd right. be going, I'm here for the passengers. Exactly. Well, I'm going to fight back, is what's going to happen. That Grim Reaper heads <laughs> up there, and I'm going to be. <laughs> it's going to be a scythe war. Yes. Yeah. Scythe wars. There. Show title possible. Um, okay. Uh, let's uh, continue on. Okay, this is from Sean, and uh, he's now I got to go back to Evernote. It says uh, eight hundred and three squirrels were intentionally released at an airport, and so here we go. I'm going to add this in, and we're going to take a look here at the beginning of this video, showing an airport departures and arrivals, and somebody with a pair of binoculars uh, walking around. It's the site of one of our latest rewilding projects. Well, okay, we've not gone crazy just yet. Hey, I'm going to turn the volume up. And there she's walking around uh, the terminal. And now we're seeing an outside view of some airplanes uh, landing, taking off. And then we see some critters on the run. These squirrels look different than squirrels that we see here in the U.S. Our squirrels have big bushy tails, but this, these squirrels... Yeah, look, look more like, like ferrets, prairie, prairie dogs, or, or prairie dogs, or something. Yeah, they don't. They're ta- they don't have impressive tails at all. Uh, anyway, there. So the video talks about the this project where they're um, trying to um, rejuvenate the uh, squirrel population uh, in certain areas of uh, of Europe, and it turns out that uh, the uh, the environment that I guess they're they're fearing extinction of these little guys and gals. And uh, they found that the places that they're um, really starting to thrive or not going the extinction route are uh, environments very similar to environments that we have around airports. They look uh, like prairie dogs. Yeah, yeah, they do look like prairie dogs, don't they? European anyway, ground squirrel. It's a European ground squirrel, according to the, uh, to the video here. Anyway, that was cute. Cute little guys, not very big, only 300 grams. Under a pound. Um, they're, they're not as big as American squirrels, that's for sure. And uh, anyway, so they're, it's, it's an interesting video. So we're going to have a link to that if you want to check it out. Well, but, our uh, resident squirrel is interested oh, there. Oh, look, there's a, there's a North American squirrel right there. <laughs> Go ahead. Hey, what, were, you, were you talking about me? Yeah. Squirrel? Yeah. Squirrel? Well, at least they're not trying to reintroduce some kind of bird that'll fly up and get involved with the airplane. <laughs> True. At least these are ground squirrels. Yeah, they're going to dig all those tunnels under the runways and then they'll collapse. And Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. Well, I'll t- <laughs> That is a major concern, uh, Liz. Thank you yeah. for bringing that point up. That's good. Yeah. Um, next video. Yeah, this, I'm more this next one. Dig holes in the tires, but there you go. It's another animal uh, video here. All right. So uh, this feedback from Peter. Uh, <laughs> the title of his feedback: Beavers, planes, beer. Hey, crew. I spotted this seasonal advertising from UK-based brewery Beaver Town. A 
very weird must have been written by someone under the influence uh, story of a flight through the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, I think the person that came up with this one may have been uh, sampling a little bit uh, too much of uh, the beer this brewery brews. So I'm just going to play just a little bit of it just to kind of give you a taste, just in case you want to check it out yourself. Beaver Town. Taste of the beer. Yeah, that's a good point. So, uh, I, you know, oh. I try to describe these videos. Welcome aboard Beaver Town Air Flight 1013 like from Bermuda to World's End International. It does look like a Even as an adult, I'm still scared of planes. Flying has always made me afraid. Soaring through the air in a 70-ton so, coffin. Oh, it looks like a very attractive uh, flight attendant. Oh! Oh, yeah. No. But when we think about it, it's a skeleton. Oh, She's so been on a bit of a diet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, she has been in quite a Good evening, sir. May I fix you a drink? Oh, yes, just a glass of water. Yeah, well, you're you're going to die. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of a very strange video. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I can't say it's a mainstream beer. I don't know if I've drunk Beaver Town, but there you go. Well, I think you should. You need to do some. Seek it out. Try. Oh, wait a minute. They do neck oil. Yes, I have tried it. Oh. Yeah. Not sure if it's to my taste. It's a bit sharp for my taste, but. Is it? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Peter. He's uh, also known as Sir Peter of Kent. Um, He said, it didn't make me thirsty or wanting to buy their beer, but expect Nick is aware of their brand. So you just mentioned that you are. Yes, indeed. All right. Now we're back uh, to I'm sorry, Nick, uh, Liz, you were saying something to me in the back, back channel? More, more serious topic now. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's go. Uh, let's get back to more seriousness here. Uh, this feedback from Alex D. Uh, Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, Dr. Steph, Camacho Man, and Captain Rick. And he says, does he even work there anymore? Uh, <laughs> yeah, on occasion he does. We're hoping to see a little bit more of him here in the future. We've got him some new recording gear. Uh, hey guys, first time, long, first time, long time here. I'm a few episodes behind, was listening to 583 the other day, came across the news item in which you discussed the VA benefits and FAA medicals. I would love to provide my two cents here as I am someone who is a veteran, receives benefits from the VA and flies for the airlines. I know there are a lot of people out there who believe that you cannot hold a first class medical while receiving VA benefits or those who think that you shouldn't. And just to be clear, we're, we're not in any of those camps. Uh, we, not the crew here. Um, continuing with uh, Alex, uh, while you're right that people tell you when leaving the service to claim everything, there should be some trepidation by pilots uh, with what they claim. I've worked closely with my AME, who is a flight surgeon for the Army, as well as an um, uh, aviation medical examiner, AME. He has guided me through the process to be able to receive both benefits. While it's true that you should be careful what you put on the form for your medical, the medical form isn't 100% clear when it comes to the VA disability aspect. The check mark is very unclear as to what it's for, and some military members don't know uh, to check that box, while others do, and some just willfully and blatantly disregard it. My Amy my AME has had me check the box and disclose everything. The big things he had told me are disqualifiers for pilots on their first-class medicals are sleep apnea, depression, and PTSD. Anything other than that, he said, should be good to go. 
Now, while this is one doctor's practice, oh, excuse me. Now, while this is one doctor's practice slash opinion and one pilot's opinion, I do not see why you can't receive both as long as you admit it and you are above board and don't try to hide it, hide one from the other. My issues from the VA are all joint and bone related and not the big three, as he calls them, his AME. Let me know your thoughts on this feedback. Thanks for the wonderful show and keep up the amazing work. Uh, also, if your if my email seems familiar, you may recognize it when I wrote in trying to coax Jeff to come on to the wonderful podcast by Aviator Tony called Squawk Ident. We would love to have Jeff back on or have Captain Nick on the podcast to tell his amazing journey through the aviation world. Respectfully, Alex D. Yeah, uh, he is one of the co-hosts of um, the uh, Squawk Ident podcast, along with uh, Aviator Tony and a couple of others. And um, yeah, uh, it was nice to meet Alex when I was on their show. Uh, so check it out. We'll put a we'll put a link in the show notes to check out um, Squawk Ident if you don't already subscribe to it. And they want obviously Alex D has been drinking some of that Beaver Town beer or doing shrooms or something. He wants Captain Nick to be on their show. Oh hmm. wow! Oh well, he's um, just a sucker so, for punishment. Yeah, he Standards is. are low. Um, so <laughs> he said you know, he'd like to know what our sorry Nick. Liz just said their standards are very low. Oh, I know. I was just gonna. I was gonna like gloss over that and not tell everybody how <laughs> how mean and hateful our, our producer is in the background. Yeah. Says these hateful things to us all the time. Um, so uh, anyway, what do we think about this? I agree with you, Alex. Um, and it's it's very smart of you to have an AME that's also a, a Army flight surgeon because. They know both sides of the fence here and what's good, what's, you know, what's good to go and what's not. And I agree with you completely that it is confusing and uh, could be better uh, explained as to, well, what is this, you know, disability, VA disability box and what do I have to actually put down on this form? Because it really is not clear at all. So I, I think for the most part, most people don't intentionally hide these things. I do think that there is a very, very tiny percentage of people that probably do knowing that you know uh, revealing their disability that they're receiving money from the VA uh, may uh, be something that uh, you know uh, the FAA frowns on uh, frowns upon so um, yeah might jeopardize jeopardize their uh, their airline career so um, yeah I think um, I, I think that you know trying to make everything more clear, and uh, I think that that'll definitely help the entire situation. I don't know what else to say. What do you think, Captain Nick? Uh, yeah, uh, I, we've discussed this at length before, and I think basically comes down to the fact that the little money you will make by trying to cheat the system is not worth jeopardizing your entire career. Uh, and also, I think there are a number of people that are doing this perfectly within the rules, and they should be allowed to continue to do so. Uh, so uh, you just need to make sure that you're not one person that's on the wrong side of the fence. Uh, and if you are, then fix soon, because your aviation career is just such a joy to us all. Uh, mm. You don't want to ever jeopardize it. What do you think, Camacho? Uh, yeah, I agree. I'm, I mean, I you know, like he mentions, I think the root of this issue is uh, 
the uh, vagueness of both the VA side of things and the, and the FAA side of things. And like I said, last time we talked about it, I don't have any experience on the F, on the VA side of things, but uh, there are definitely many challenges in the FAA medical system. And, you know, the current um, chief medical person or surgeon, surgeon general, the FAA or whoever she is, uh, Dr. Northrup is, seems to be aware of a lot of the issues and is working towards or, you know, says all the right things about working towards getting it fixed or making it better. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's a very large bureaucratic process. And, um, you know, even if there's something wrong, a lot of times people look at it and, and their initial thought is like, well, if we change it, we might mess it up and, make um, worse, yeah. yeah, make it worse. And that's, um, that's a little, uh, I'm sure that's disheartening for some of the people that are struggling through Negative. the current process. Yeah. Well, I think it's a positive thing that it seems that people are paying more attention to this and they're trying to fix it so that uh, people don't jeopardize their airline careers and they still get what's due to them for serving their country. Right. Yeah. And I, All right. I, I also like, I haven't been, uh, I wasn't on the second time you guys talked about it, you know, I was on when we initially talked about it. I know we got some feedback and I, I didn't uh, get a chance to be on during that, but I also think it's important to keep in mind that uh, just regarding his comment about people who think that you can't or shouldn't hold a medical while receiving VA benefits, th those are really like two mutually exclusive things. Like the VA benefits uh, are, you know, it's completely dependent on what has happened to you. The FAA medical is to make sure you're safe to fly an airplane. It's not to make sure you're like the healthiest person on the face of the planet. Right. So... I agree. That's a little agreed. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, CJ is the one that wrote in the. Um, um, uh, he was objecting a little bit to the way we covered it, and I, I think it was just a misunderstanding of where where we were coming from there, because um, we were basically what he was saying was what we were saying as well. Yeah. So um, anyway, well, thanks, Alex D, for uh, giving us your your perspective and your own anecdotal experience with all of that. Uh, that could possibly help some others out there. Um, this one from Marcus. Um, Hi, guys. Just wanted to write in about a good experience I had with a gentleman who provides revision courses and mock exams for the UK FRTOL exam. And I had to look this up and go, what? What's that? Flight radio telephony, telephony operator's license. I say that right? Flight radio to telephony operators license. Or I think that you know, most people uh, just refer to it as a radio license. I was going to say, Jeff, isn't that a mobile phone? A radio well, telephony device? Yeah, <laughs> it is. Do we have to have a, do we have to go through a course well, to use these things? Apparently. Have a license. Yeah. Some people should. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You should. Go and get everyone should go and do this course immediately. They should at least figure out how to mute the darn thing when it's ringing and when you're in church or a concert or something. You know, come on, how yeah, to how to turn true. the ringer off, idiots. Yeah. Have you ever stopped right. mid performance at church and just pointed at someone and been like, Please "I want be an adult to, sir. I wanted to." <laughs> I, usually, when it and, and, and when it rings at church, though, Camacho, I, I usually lean over to uh, one of my fellow singers and go, "That's God calling." <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right uh so let's see let's get back over here to 
Um, Marcus's feedback. The uh, okay, so he talked about um, this gentleman, Irv Lee, uh, the UK FRTOL exam. Uh, he asked us to pass on the word about his course to anyone who uh, that anyone we knew that was looking to sit their exam. Unfortunately, I didn't, so I thought it would be best to let you guys spread the word as he has put in a lot of effort and provides a brilliant service. He will continue to answer any questions well after you've finished his course and really knows his stuff when it comes to radio communications within aviation. As I mentioned, he also provides mock exams, which are brilliant. Is that when you're taking the exam, he just like mocks you and tries to... Uh, if you enjoy it, then that's a worry. <laughs> I don't like being mocked, honestly. Uh, um, okay, I did wonder if Captain Nick had heard of him or not, uh, as he does seem quite involved with aviation in a few ways. You ever heard of the uh, early? Very few ways. Um, uh, no, because after all, I did my flight radio telephony operator's license about 40 or 50 years ago. Uh, yeah. And... Um, I don't think uh, Mr. Lee was around then, but of, uh, mm. and I haven't heard of him, no. Um, but uh, he sounds like he's a very capable uh, and interesting chap. Well, Boxer says it's called the Fartle exam. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Fartle exam for all you fartlers out there. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's see, Marcus continues, if I remember correctly, I believe he told us he came up with the idea of the listening squawk too. I thought that was a brilliant fact he has to tell everyone. I don't even know what that means. What's a listening Neither squawk? Neither do I. What's the listening squawk? Would that be something that you squawk when you're up there like flying around VFR to let people know that you are listening to frequency but you're just not uh, transmitting? I'm, Marcus, I'm waiting for Liz to Google it. Stand by. Yeah, okay. Somebody's going to no, Google too late, it. Too late, Liz. I'm going to do it now. Oh, okay, fine. Okay. I like that. All right. So we'll uh, we'll play the uh, 60 minutes. No, the uh, Jeopardy. Final Jeopardy. Da, 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 da. I should have started it higher. Da, 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 Listening Officially known Boom. as frequency monitoring codes, uh, yeah, listening out squawk enables air traffic controllers to alert a pilot to their. Well, hang on, hang on, stop, stop, Liz, stop, stop. Let me uh, do something so I that people can right. hear you. Oh, is it? A, it was a lucky guess, maybe on my part. Today in commercial um, air. Yeah, I'll, I'll let Liz. Okay, well, okay, hang on. Um, Liz, no, no, you can do it from uh, Unity. I just have to hit one button here. Okay. Okay, go. Officially known as frequency monitoring codes, a listening out squawk enables air traffic controllers to alert a pilot to their close proximity to the boundaries of controlled airspace. If their aircraft looks likely to infringe, any aircraft fitted with a mode AC or mode S transponder can use these codes. Well, there you go. So there you go. Thanks, Liz. Okay. okay I'm going to turn you so off. So if, of if I understand that correctly, you uh, squawk, for example, if you're close to Birmingham, you squawk 0010 and listen out on 123.980. And that is the frequency they will shout to you on if you're getting too close. Yeah, it sounds like a discount version of uh, flight following almost. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, a little bit less... Yeah. 
a little um, less intrusive for the controllers. Right. Yeah. Well, Irv Leak um, oh, invented Irv it, Lee. apparently. Well, interesting. Okay, yeah. Well, um, Irv Lee, I, le- I went to his website. We'll have his website information. Um, yeah, he does. A, looks like he does a lot in, uh, it's called Higher Plane, uh, Higher P-L-A-N-E, Aviation Training, and uh, Limited. And he does, he has video, DVD clips, UK flying and testing, pre-flight checklist, uh, PPL masterclasses, licensed medical combos, frequently asked questions, consultancy, all that. So it looks like he uh, is a very active uh, flight examiner, and CAA flight examiner and instructor, and a FR, a FARDL radio license examiner. Have we talked about the flight radio telephony operator's license on here before? No, I don't recall it. No, well, I, what is it? What is it? Re, what does it cover, Nick? It allows you to uh, operate a radio in an airplane. In an airplane. So if you're getting your pilot's license, you also need to have that license. Yes. Okay. Well, I'm pretty sure. I don't think it comes as part of your license. I think it's a separate. Okay. It's a separate thing. It's a separate thing over here. Um, yeah, but you don't we need have it over to, here to operate oh. aircraft radios. Well, uh, the people that always check for my radio um, operator's license permit or whatever they call it uh, here always ask me to pull it out of my wallet and show them every time I go to the front <laughs> training. Okay. Huh. So my I understanding, they, I, I, I got a restricted radio telephone operator permit when I flew I overseas, but I thought that was only required for overseas. And also that wasn't like a real test. I know. That was like pay the government 70 bucks and check the box that says you can speak English. I think I only paid maybe 10 or 15 or actually my parents probably did because I got mine when I was a teenager and I had a CB radio because it's the same restricted radio telephone operators permit for CB radio use as well as, turns out, aviation. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that it's a requirement, at least for uh, part 121 um, air carrier pilot. Yeah, that could be. That it's just yeah. not required. Now I'll have to look into that. I'm surprised none of our, our our brain trust in the uh, live audience isn't I kind of pitching this. in with uh, if that's what what Cap um, what well, Camacho he was, was saying. He he was sure available for the humor. I know he's notably absent when we need his brain. I know when we actually need real <laughs> information that could benefit somebody. <laughs> <laughs> If it, actually on Lee's um, website, he says the uh, FRTOL is mandatory for private pilot with any UK issued flying license using the radio, with the exception of balloonists. <laughs> they can, of course, because they have no control over where they're going anyway. Anybody. They just uh, yell. They just yell. Yeah. They just yell. Microlight <laughs> student pilots are often misled by being told that microlight pilots don't need a radio license, which is simply not true, as they will no. find out if ever involved in an incident or ramp check. So, um, Sporty says in the US, the FCC issues a restricted radio telephone operator permit for US pilots, but only for international use. It is not required while flying in the United States. Most airlines require that applicants possess ah, there you go, operator's permit. Interesting. Yeah. I, I just assumed that it was something you had to have, even if you were a private pilot here in no. the U.S. But yeah, wow, that's interesting. Uh, oh, Myla, uh, lady pilot Myla. 
They used to give out radio licenses in Dutch that restricted you to only flying or only fly in the Dutch speaking region. I think some places, Germany and France, still do. Might be worth a Google. Thank you. Good to see you, Milo. I haven't seen you in a while. That's great. Hope you're doing well. Do those licenses come in your breakfast cereal box or what? They may as well, because I don't think it was a very complicated exam over here anyway. It sounds like okay. just like everything over there, like the ATPL or what do you have, like 14 tests? Used to. to get your, yeah, I don't know what it is nowadays, but it used uh, to It's be. like, no, oh, thank goodness we don't have that here. Because mm. I don't think I'd be an airline pilot. <laughs> um Anyway, well, good stuff. Uh, so, Marcus, um, I hope that that helped Irv. Uh, we'll put all of his informa- information in the show notes if anybody out there um, may want some some help with uh, learning about the uh, FRTOL exam. <laughs> Tanya says she's oh. brain dead. Tanya says I'm a brain dead trust today. Yeah, our brain trust is brain dead. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Oh, Tanya. Sorry to hear that, Tanya. But we wouldn't expect you to know these things, Tanya. But the people, the other people in there, they were pilots. Come on. I will say, I hall boxes stepped up to the plate after we called him out. And he basically oh, did he? said the okay. same thing we did, right? IKO. And uh, I don't know who ITU okay. is, but IKO is. I don't know what the, the ITU is. International FAA. Transport yeah. Union or something. Import, uh, an International Transport Union. Okay. Could be. That sounds good, Liz. Oh, just All right. Made it. I just made it Somebody up. look that up. Staff. <laughs> All right. Um, that's enough. Thank you, Marcus. Um, our good friend and, um, uh, fellow, well, not fellow, but fellow a, a South, South, South. Uh, my, yes. He's a, he's one of my neighbors just up the road in Alpharetta, Georgia, Ray. Uh, he sent this image in of an ATIS broadcast, digital ATIS broadcast from uh, Johannesburg. Yeah, Nick will um, like this. Nick's really into Yeah, Nick will like this one. Uh, let's oh, see. So it has the arrival runway three right, departure runway three left, clearance delivery on one two one decimal seven. South African rugby world champions. TRL flight level zero nine zero. So it just kind of sticks. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Transition level. Uh, they just kind of stuck that right in the middle of their ATIS broadcast. Uh, I guess they're very I proud, very and happy good. about this. Yeah. The uh, rugby win. Just well, they 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 did in fact play a great game. Uh, Stay down a bit. I mean, New Zealand. Was it against uh, I think had the potential. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh. but uh, I was thinking about the final. The final was against okay. New Zealand, which are probably ah, okay. I don't follow rugby. Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, New Zealand uh, made a big mistake when they got their captain red carded and sent off in the first half. So Uh-oh. they played a man down for the rest of the game. By the way, ITU means International Telecommunication Union. It's an arm of the United Nations for matters related to information and communication technology. Wow. I mean, we're just a veritable encyclopedia of (laughs) information that is not important at all. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Liz. Um, Okay. Um, Let's move on. Oh, this is... Do we have to... We have to cover this. I mean, because the guys... uh, (laughs) Tim, yeah. Talk about Tim Van Ram. Cannon, I know, but. You ever you ever heard of that guy? Uh, he's no. in our live audience, uh, heckling usually, um, and he sent us this feedback, dear y'all, <laughs> dear all y'all, APG. Thank you. That's something I can understand. Accurate, uh, Tim yeah. uh, found this audio of ATC talking to a GA flight, 
to warn him of a flight of actually it was a I think it was actually a regional airline flight um, uh, to warn him of a flight of six F-35s that I'm uh, that I assume was doing a flyover at a sporting event. I don't think so. I think it was just, they were just kind of flying over the area. As, as um, Nick would say, they were beating up the airfield. They were just beating up the airspace <laughs> yeah. up there. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but um, based on what I heard on this that we're just about to play right now, so you can hear listen to it as well. It is very cute. So we'll uh, we'll clear that. Thank you, Liz. And I'm going to add this to the stage. And here we go. Again, from Vass Aviation, Victor over there, uh, Real Aviation Communications, liveatc.net. Blue Street 5509, flight heading 200. Heading 200, Blue Street 5509. Blue Street 5509, oh, traffic 12 o'clock, opposite direction, 10 miles. A uh, F-35 at 4,000 feet north south. All right, negative contact, Blue Street 5509. Table, correction, Tabor 31, flighting 030. Blue Street 5509, just heads up at traffic path and below you, flight at 6, F-35, uh, all at 4,000. 5509, traffic in sight. Uh, too close for missile switch to guns. Hey, that might be the funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. One flight climbing chain, flight level but 230. But not the funniest thing. Blue Street 5509, up at 9 o'clock at 6 miles. Airport in sight, 5509. Blue Street 5509, contact tower 120.8. Have a good day. Going to tower, I guess a clear to visual. Blue Streak 5509. Sorry about that. Clear to visual, runway 5, tower 120.8. Appreciate you, man. Roger. There we go. Um, I want to know how come uh, this commuter jet, boring airliner, has a call sign like Blue Streak, and the F-35s have Tabor? What that? Well, Dickens Blue Streak is the that? airline's call sign, um, and... I don't think it's a very complimentary uh, call sign because anytime I somebody tells me about a blue streak, I think about the <laughs> yeah. uh, leak in the uh, yeah. on the side wow. of the airplane, you know, yeah. the, the valve for the toilet, uh, <laughs> the lavatory service panel. Yeah. That's what I think of when I think of blue streak. Uh, okay. At least it's not um, brown right. streak. Uh, or brown streak. That's even worse, Liz. Yeah. Um, yeah, you always want to have the blue streak, not the brown streak. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, and yeah, but you're right. That that call sign for the uh, F-35s, Tabor. Ugh. Yeah. What is know. that? That's, I don't know. But this is uh, he was going into Norfolk, uh, Virginia Beach Airport, and uh, that's all around the um, naval big naval Oceana. facility in uh, Norfolk, Oceana, and all uh, several. Um, Navy facilities uh, surrounding that area there, so uh, I'm sure that was probably um, probably Marine F-35s. That was I'm a thinking. good comment, though. I like. Anyway, that, that was funny. Um, uh, the good response from uh, the Blue Streak uh, pilot. Too close for missiles. So we're just going to um, wrap up at the anyway. two and a half hour mark with Paul. Okay, we're going to wrap up the uh, show today with some feedback from our friend, APG community member, uh, world traveler. Who I believe I just had some communication with him this morning is uh, was on a flight just landing in Dubai, um, and so he's retired from his uh, nuclear uh, energy plant and is out there doing some traveling. and And uh, we I think we heard from him last week 
regarding uh, his his um, trip to Singapore. And remember the birds in the background or something that we were trying to figure out? Anyway, um, so he sent us in some more uh, audio feedback via SpeakPipe. And so let's hear what Paul has to say. Ahoy, Jeff and crew. This is Paul. Ahoy is a greeting that they use in Slovak, mostly for hello. I don't know how they get the ahoy, but I'll do a little research on it. Anyway, I was just listening to one of the podcasts about three podcasts ago, and I wanted to just show my appreciation for you all using phonetic alphabet. Makes you sound so much more professional. And to that, I would just like to say, Alpha Bravo, Charlie Delta, Echo, Foxtrot, Gulf Hotel, India, Juliet, Kilo, Lima, Mike, November, Oscar, Papa, Quebec, Romeo, Sierra, Tango, Uniform, Victor, X-Ray, Whiskey, Yankee, and Zulu. Yes, the X and the W were transpositioned, but uh, I just wanted to uh, read it nice and fast and uh, appreciate all of you for using your phonetic alphabet. Paul, over and out. Ciao. Ciao, baby. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I was going I want, to say, you know what? I, I want something I think you were whatever he's that. on. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, now get back with us and do it without reading it, but actually just say Alpha, Bravo, Delta, Charlie, or Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo, whatever. I'm not going to do it because I'm going to mess it up. Um, but you're welcome because that's what we are here, Paul, completely 100% professionals. Kind of <laughs> to throw up the uh, 50%. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> We're 100%. Oh, no. 50%. 50%. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes less than 50%. And regarding, you know, doing, the, he talked about doing the research for, uh, Ahoy. And, uh, so I did the research for you, Paul. So don't worry about it. Enjoy your trip over there to Dubai. Uh, Ahoy is, um, also Hoy or Ahoy. Uh, 1751 from a probably merely a preliminary sound plus hoy, a nautical call used in hauling. The original form of the greeting seems to have been, ho, the ship, ahoy. Yeah. When I think of ahoy, yeah. I think of Captain Crunch, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Um, the uh, It's a nautical term, a sailing term. Uh, and uh, anyway, so it's just a form of hello. I guess, or some kind of a warning. Actually, it's an interesting part of this. Uh, this is from the um, etymology dictionary, and um, it's its rise to popularity as a greeting in the 1880s coincides with the spread of the telephone, where it won out as the word said in answering over Alexander Graham Bell's suggestion, "Ahoy!" Central telephone exchange operators were known as "Hello, girls." So. Um, Instead, you know, when we answer the phone, we usually <laughs> say hello. <laughs> Ahoy, girls. Um, so th- I guess, yeah, Alexander Graham Bell wanted to actually for us to say ahoy when no, we answered the phone. No, I think it was hoy. I've actually heard oh. the, the tape or the, or the recording of his first call, and he was oh. saying hoy hoy, I think. Hoy hoy. Oh, okay. So uh, the etymology dictionary is in error. I guess you're going to have to do so. something about that, Liz. Get yeah. them straight, I'll write straightened my own out. dictionary. Okay, Liz's etymology dictionary. That'll be a real yeah. Get to work. 
lots of words out there. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Paul, for the audio feedback. Again, as I mentioned, uh, that's one way to send us audio feedback is uh, by heading over to our website, uh, airlinepilotguy.com. And on the Contact Us page, uh, there is a link to uh, how you can leave an audio recording on SpeakPipe. And that's one way to do it. Or you can just take your telephone or uh, uh, whatever kind of electronic device that has a recording app on it, record something beautiful. You don't have a 90-second limitation on that. And then uh, attach it to an email and send it to us uh, by just scanning this uh, this QR code. Or you can just send it a feedback at airlinepilotguy.com, which is what happens when you scan the uh, QR code. And, uh, yeah, website has other stuff as well. Information about the crew and the community. There's a community calendar, um, library, more information about the plane tales, and so much more. Please check it out, uh, airlinepilotguide.com. And we're also on social media. Who wants to, you guys want to do a tag team on that one? Oh, yeah, I'll start. And if you're a Facebook person, uh, which is now called Meta, uh, you just need to look for Airline Pilot Guy or one word. Over to you, Nick. Uh, Twitter or X is at APG Crew. Nick collects all our information there. And Instagram is very similar with APG Crew. You got someone in your bathroom there, Joe? Do I have somebody in my bathroom? Uh, let me see. Let me check. Oh yeah, here we go. I, I hear I hear something going on there. Uh, hello, hello. Can you tell us about Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. All right, tell us all about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas, we suggest episode and plain tales topics, we plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Hillel, for your help with that. And oh, let's see, anything uh, going on in the near future for any of us here or anything that we well, need to... We're uh, hoping for tell- some more feedback because Liz must be very upset. Oh, well, speaking gone of through it all. <laughs> Liz, Liz, come on, join us. Uh, I'm, I'm thank you very much. I'm very scared now. We've really- <laughs> yeah. The feedback cupboard is bare, so Indeed. we love some feedback. Yeah. Yeah, but if we know it, we don't get it, that's okay. We'll just talk more news items and read the phone book and all that kind of stuff, and we'll have fun. And yeah. you can just kind of hang around and listen to us yak. We can just play that uh, Brazilian uh, podcast you were on for three hours there. Well, that's, good that's, idea. that's an Absolutely. option, but I think we'd lose a lot of <laughs> listeners if we did that list. <laughs> well, they'd all go to sleep, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what happens when you listen to me. Uh, just you know, go on and on and on. Anyway. And a good um, show, and great to have Nixie back for a while. Yeah, good to have you back, Nick. We missed yeah, you. Indeed. And, uh, and uh, we hope you have a, a good week and spend some good time with your family. Uh, same goes for you, Captain Nick. And say Thank hi to sir. Jilly and the dogs. And um, let's see, I guess 
nothing else to say except that wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Bye, everybody. See you next time. Bye-bye. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats airline pilot guy I fly America oh airline pilot guy he can't land in heavy fall I got no friends Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline pilot guy I fly a oh, Airline pilot guy